Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It's July 30th, 2023, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, or very, very rarely on threads at Over the Cap. Um, you can get in touch with me via email most of the time, Jason at overthecap.com. Uh, I'm joined by Nelly, but Nelly is sleeping right now. I think it's a mid-afternoon nap. Uh, typically, you know, we are recording this on a uh, Saturday or a Friday night, but uh, that's not happening today. Uh, the plan yesterday was to do a late night recording. Uh, Jacob decided it was going to be fortnight time again, and slowly but surely, my voice was pretty much shot by, I don't know, I'd say about 9.30 at night. Uh, I realized my voice was pretty much gone. We had taken the kids to Dave and & Buster's, and Dave and & Buster's can be kind of loud in there, so... I think just between being outside a little bit earlier in the day and then having to talk over whatever the music was and everything in there, uh, I think my voice just kind of fell apart from it. So I think it's pretty much back today, but uh, that means no beer of the day today. So we're not doing the Sunday afternoon uh, beer. So um, not going to have that one, but we did have uh, some Stone IPA yesterday. So that was uh, that's what we had um, last night. So next week we'll be back with, uh, I think I have some Southern Tier, so if that's still floating around, we'll uh, do that one next week, Um, and that's what we'll use for the podcast. So anyway, uh, big, big, big week, Um, so hopefully I don't have too many questions. I only asked one time for questions yesterday, just kind of threw it out there, um, because I figured this would take long, so um, hopefully it won't take too, too long, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, I don't remember a week outside of free agency where there were really that many contract extensions. Um, It was just deal after deal after deal after deal as teams and players were kind of getting in, you know, right before the start of, you know, training camp really, um, really kicking into gear. You know, this is the real light part of training camp. You kind of come in, you're kind of, you know, they're getting everybody up to speed, uh, a lot of fan interaction during this this time. So I, I think this is an easy time to try to get these deals hammered out. But um, this was probably the, the most that I've seen for this time of year. Um, it's definitely not the most overall. It, it's close to it, but it, it wasn't the most overall. Um, that was, I think, five years ago or so, six years ago. I, I'd run some numbers on that. But uh, it was the, these were much more notable contracts than than then. I mean, the, these were some uh, big time player deals, and you know, for the most part, I'd actually say a lot of the contracts that went on during this, um, you know, they I, I'd say they skewed very much in the favor of the teams. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that any of the deals that came down so far, where we at least have all the numbers for them. Um, you'd look at them and say, "Yeah, that that was a that's a huge score for the player," and you know we we could start with Justin Herbert, who you know sets the mark at fifty two five, but I want to start with Aaron Rodgers because that is the most intriguing one, and obviously I'm a Jets fan, so that's the most interesting one for me. So here you see Aaron Rodgers at thirty seven five. You'll notice that ties him now with Derek Carr, who was the other quarterback that the Jets were interested in signing. Uh, Puts him a little above Kirk Cousins, who's at $35 million. Um, so, you know, it, it's a uh, it's an interesting spot where he is. I, I run some of the numbers. I'm not going to pull up the, the contract history page right now, but if you kind of look at it, you know, in, a, in another way, um, numbers-wise, where he comes in is pretty similar on a percentage of the cap kind of basis as to 
where Peyton Manning was years ago when he signed with the Denver Broncos. Uh, not the not the time when he took the pay cut. The the time when he originally signed with them after he was uh, cut by the Indianapolis Colts. I don't think that played a role, but those kind of things maybe give some perspective as to numbers that get floated out there. Um, this is a huge pay cut for him, and in my mind, this was just really kind of a big stick it to Green Bay and that organization. Um, Rodgers has probably been unfairly criticized about his entire career. Uh, Rodgers' career, he never really um, pushed that hard on the contract front. Um, I'm not saying it was Tom Brady, but it wasn't that far off. You know, the the deal he signed at 22.5, I think was the number 22.5, 23.5, years and years ago, uh, 2013, that really blocked the market for quarterbacks for a long time was, you know, it, it was a good deal um, at the time, but it, it's not like it was so over the market, um, you know, that, that you would look at it as anything else. I'm just going to pull up his old contracts here. You know, it was uh, $22 million a year is what that was. And then he jumped up here to 33.5. And again, given the type of player that he was considered, especially in 2018, um, 2013, he was still, he was very highly rated, but you could argue about being the best or not. I think at the 2018 one, he was pretty much regarded as the best quarterback in the NFL. Uh, again, you're not looking at a situation where he was banging the Packers over the head with um, with the contract stuff. That all changed here. That all changed in 2022 last year when he signs the contract for about $50.3 million a year. And yeah, again, you could say that, well, yeah, you know, he was the best player in the NFL and you can justify that salary, um, which was at the time, I think about $4 million more than the next closest player, maybe about $5 million more than the next closest player. But if you watch the way that all shook out, um, you know, where in his prior contract he had a year taken off it, and when you look at kind of the way that he held the feet to the fire with the decision kind of stuff and what he wanted to do, this really just comes across as like, well, I'm just going to flex my muscle and say, let's see what I can do. And, you know, you can see here he only earned only, um, you know, $42 million uh, on that deal. Um, so the salary itself was not that far off from what he's going to earn the next couple of years at 37.5. But, you know, he could have held the Packers to this contract. It seems like he would have. He could have held the Jets to it, um, but certainly did not do it. So this was just kind of a flex of, I'm annoyed at the Jordan Love thing. I've given you these two deals to kind of improve the team. I don't think you're doing it, and now you're you're drafting players that don't make sense for me. So I'm just going to flex my muscle, and you're going to pay me whatever, and we're going to deal with it. And now he goes back to the Jets, or he goes to the Jets, and you know, basically agrees to just go right back down and level to be something that's similar to that Peyton Manning end of career, a little bit Tom Brady end of career Drew Brees. They, they were a little bit lower than this. Um, on a percentage basis, but very similar, I think, in the um, in the way that you look at that strategically. And, you know, I, I never would have uh, imagined that this was going to happen. The, this didn't make any sense to me, given what he did with the Packers. And, you know, it just becomes very clear that this was a, a issue with Green Bay, not so much an issue with 
um, him in general. Uh, how much credit do you give to the Jets for the contract? I don't really know. I mean, Rodgers pretty much runs the show when it comes to this stuff. You know, he's basically the assistant GM of the team. Um, Timing-wise, this was pretty good by the Jets. I think this was really smart by them. You know, they, they were able to kind of do these deals and... You know, you get Quinn and Williams in ahead of time. And during that time, you can kind of say, hey, look, you know, we don't know what the situation is with Aaron. We don't know what his cap number is going to be. We're going to have a lot of money that we have to pay him this year. We're already tight on our cash budget. Um, you know, we can only go so high this year. And we can really only go so high next year because we don't really know what's going on. And, you know, that that's maybe a million or two million extra that he could have gotten. And, you know, when you, when you look at the, the Jets team... Um, Oops. You know, let me pull up the Jets here. And you look at some of these players, you know, you, you've got a really good ability to go to somebody like a CJ Mosley and basically say, look, buddy, you know, the 17 million, I know you, you've wanted to, to stick on this number and we've been trying to get you to take a pay cut. And I'm assuming that they've been trying to get him to take a pay cut. Um, you know, look, Aaron just did this. He just took away close to $35 million off his deal. Um, you know, what if instead of $34 million over these next two years where you got those two two years, what if we guarantee you like $22 million over the course of two years and we split that between the two seasons and kind of cut your numbers in half? Do the same with Corey Davis. I'm not sure if you can really do that with Dwayne Brown. Um, you know, but you, you're in a position now to where you can do that. And when you go into next season... And, you know, you look at a player like Lakin Tomlinson, you look at DJ Reed, you know, you're in these windows where you've got some ability to go in there and now kind of ask players to, to take pay cuts. Um, you know, it gives you a lot of ammunition. If the Jets play well this year, you know, it gives them a lot of ammunition as well to really even do the whole Tom Brady thing with the Patriots, where every time you have a free agent that comes in, um, obviously, you can't lay out the rings on the table the way Belichick maybe would have, but you're giving that ability to play with a quarterback uh, who's kind of a legendary quarterback, a quarterback who has given up money to play on the team, um, you know, and that, that gives you that chance to go after those veterans who are kind of ring chasing. Um, so let me get into the Rodgers contract, then just some more thoughts, I think, on the Jets in general. But uh, let, let's just look at the numbers here on Rogers deal and just to give you an idea of really what he gave up so he's going to earn in cash this year 36.88 million I really figured out what the the reason is behind some of these numbers sometimes you, you can look for a reason in it you know the 12 at the end of this obviously could be something who knows they're, they're kind of weird numbers um, 36.9 million in cash 8.9 million as a cap hit next year he's at 38.2 17.2 on the cap uh, 37.5 in cash if he keeps playing in 2025, 23.5 cap if he plays in 2025, and then $63 million in dead money that would account be accounted for in the future. Um, you know, and you, you look at where the contract was when he came in. This is his old contract, originally 59.5, 49.3, cap of 15.8 and 32.6 with $60 million dead in 2025. And, you know, he took a $22.6 million pay cut this year. And $11.2 million, almost 
eleven point two million dollars next year. Call it eleven one. Uh, cap goes down by six nine this year and goes down by fifteen four next year. Um, you know th- those are big numbers, and obviously instead of taking or possibly taking this uh, massive hit in twenty five, you get to defer that to twenty six. Um, you know, some people started to make up some. I'm not going to say make it up, uh, but try to spin this as well. You know, Rogers was only guaranteed this. He was only guaranteed 59.5. This wasn't a real guarantee. This was injury protected. So, you know, the the way his contract worked out, um, you know, the the prior contract, this number that's injury protected um, was going to be fully guaranteed in February. So the question that you have to ask yourself is, okay, what are the odds that Aaron Rodgers was going to get cut after the Jets did all that trade stuff? Um, You know, what are the odds that that would happen? And I would imagine that that is a pretty low consideration when you consider the salary cap, the PR ramifications, everything of it. You know, he'd have to be really bad to not earn that money, which in total was going to be... um, what is it? One, 108, 109, 108, And, you know, even if he was cut, let's just say, you know, that Aaron Rodgers was cut and, you know, he, he had a bad season. The Jets had a bad year. How much do you think that he would earn as a free agent if he wanted to keep playing football? Even if off a bad season, you know, let's say he earns $20 million, um, that's 79.5 over 2. And when you look at what he's guaranteed right now, it's $75 million. So it's one of those things where, yeah, you can try to spin. He only had 60 in guarantees, and now he's got 75 full. But just from a reality standpoint, he's taking a $22 million hit this year and very easily would have made up that money next year. And if he retires, it means he, you know, earned million less to play one season with the Jets and then go retire. Um, If he doesn't retire, you know, he, he wasn't going to, he was going to earn more than $15 million. So there's no way that you can really spin this to say he did anything, but really, you know, take a contract that was um, pretty lousy based on where he originally was. Now, how this contract shakes down um, based on the information that I've got right now on it, uh, this is his structure this year. So it's a 1.8 base, uh, $7 million signing bonus. There's still $50,000 left over from the workout. That's where you get that cap hit. All the numbers in green here are guaranteed at signing. So next year, they have a uh, salary of $3.16 million. You've got the signing bonus proration at seven. Jets can pick up an option for $35 million. If they don't pick it up, it all jumps into base salary. So this is the way you would do it to get that cap number down to $17 million. Um, otherwise, you know, that cap number would jump by $28 million from where it is here. Uh, 2025, he has a non-guaranteed salary of $2.5 million. You've got the proration from signing bonus one. You have the proration from option bonus one. And the Jets, again, can pick up another option for $35 million. That'll prorate over five years. And that can get that cap charge down as low as $23.5 million. Um, 2026 hits. And I believe these are void years in the contract. I know someone told me there's, you know, dummy salaries in there. 
And he, he did that with his contract with Green Bay, but I do know it was reported that he has a no-trade and a no-franchise tag designation, so I don't think he'd really care about a franchise tag in 2030, um, unless it's a, and you know, if you would have to cut him, you shouldn't be eligible to do a future year franchise. So I'm assuming that these are voidable. Um, in any event, they're not years that he would ever have to really honor on a contract, um, same way that they were in Green Bay. So you know, you, you value it this way. So they have would have, if he played three years, and the Jets would be thrilled. If he was good enough to play three years, they're not going to care about this number. Um, but it's $63 million that you would have to deal with in dead money as you kind of rebuild your franchise in the, in the post-Rogers years, you know, unless you wanted to keep playing, in which case this number would probably get cut in half because, you know, you play for another $40 million or something like that. So if you want to look at the dead money that might exist on the contract, you've got to look at the different scenarios here. So you got the dead money scenarios for him. So we have two treatments, a regular cut or June 1, and these could be retirements or cuts. Um, dead money in that year and dead money in the year after that. So if he was to retire next year, you'd have $28 million in dead money. If he retired, but then you decided to, to you know, run him as a June 1 cut, you'd have a $7 million charge and you'd have a $21 million charge. Um, what the Jets would do in that case, just as procedural, um, he would probably have to tell them before... Um, actually, no, they wouldn't. I'm sorry. If he was just going to do a retirement, um, what they would do is once he makes that decision to retire, they'd go in here, they'd knock his P5 down to the minimum, they would remove the option from the contract, so his cap number during free agency would only be eight million. You wouldn't be carrying it to the seventeen one, and you know then you would process that retirement on June second. Uh, if the disaster scenario hits and you were to cut him next year, um, you'd have sixty six point one million dollars dead in twenty twenty four. Your other option is you would exercise the option before you released him, um, which means you'd cut him a check for all that guaranteed money. But that would give you the ability to kind of defer that money to where you'd have a $17 million cap charge for 2024. And then you defer $49 million of that into 2025. Um, I would be, be hard for me to believe that either of these scenarios would happen uh, for the same reasons that I mentioned above. Retirement can always happen. So the, these are not terrible numbers if he was to retire. Uh, you get into 2025, um, if he was to cut or retire, you know, you'd have $49 million in dead money that you'd have to deal with. If he retired, um, you know, or you designated him as a June 1, which you, you could do, um, you'd have $14 million dead in 2025, and you'd defer $35 million to 2026. Um, you know, again, that, that's not, you know, terrible. Um, when you get into the void in 2026... Um, you know, there's there's a couple of ways that you can run this, um, and I have the wrong number that's down here. I don't know why I wrote 35 down. I must have just carried that over or something like that. Let me see what I did here. I actually wrote these down wrong. I have a feeling I just copied and pasted something and didn't actually run those numbers in there. So if you did a regular void, which means it's going to just void out in 2026, it's going to be the sum of all those numbers, which I think is more than I had down there. So let's see, 2026, right? I believe it's the 63. Yeah, it would be 63 million. Um, if you were able to do that as a June 1 void, 
what you would do, this is probably what I just copied and pasted. Um, you'd have the 21 here, and you'd have the balance of that deferred to 2027, you know, which would be 42. Um, you know, again, that would require a modification on a contract. Uh, but, you know, if he's basically going to retire, um, that's usually pretty easy to do. So, you know, I, I think the only situations that you would have that would be a problem uh, would be if by some stretch of the imagination you needed to cut him um, in 2024, which I just can't see happening. And the only other one would be if his contract does void out in 2026 and if it's not already in that contract that he would not be willing to basically move the money to let him be released on um, uh, you know second day of free agency and um, you know defer let the Jets split up that cap hit 21 and 42 so the, those would be the only two scenarios that would really be a problem and this one is incredibly unlikely and I can't even really see why that one would happen because he'd probably be retiring at that point in his career. So, you know, I, I think, um, you know, you look at this, he gave up a lot, and numbers-wise, this works out really well for the Jets. And, you know, the, the Jets are still not in, you know, a great position with the salary cap. Um, let me just open up the cap room here. Oh, if my internet wants to work. There we go. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Um, you know, you you can look here. You know, the, the Jets are fine this year. It's $16 million or so. Um, you know, you're not really going to do exactly too much. I'll talk about that in a minute. But the big one is this move them here to $16 million. So they're still in the bottom third, but they're moving closer to the middle. And because they're, they're in a, a better position in 2023, they're going to get to carry over a little bit more than some of these other teams. So that might move them a little bit higher. I think if I were the Jets, I think what I would do, and let's assume that some of these players won't take a pay cut. You know, I'm saying they will. Let's assume they won't. And I know I complain when certain teams just kind of go wild with the um, uh, restructures and everything. But given what Rodgers just did and given the, the window of opportunity that that presents the Jets... I think they should probably follow a model that um, the Eagles and the Cowboys first used uh, going into the, if I remember right, I think it was the end of the CBA. I don't think it was the COVID year, but it might have been the COVID year. It might not have been end of CBA. But what they did was they basically took a bunch of their players the week before the season started and they restructured them. And it wasn't because they needed cap room for this year. It was because what they were trying to do was maximize their carryover. And it was going to put them in the best position with the salary cap the following year. Because what it lets you do is, for example, for a player like a C.J. Mosley, it'll let you gain cap room from him this year. And then in 2024, you can restructure him again. And you kind of get to do it twice. Um, since all you're doing is carrying over the money, or at least that's the intention is to carry over the money, it really doesn't present a negative scenario because if things go bad and you have to cut them the next year, the net impact is zero because you just carried over all the money you saved. So all the money that you added is dead money, potential dead money in 2024. You can you can offset that with your carryover if you had to cut him. So if I'm the Jets, I would go in and I would do that with every player possible. Um, 
you know, I mean, we, we could see what that could get them to. Obviously, in the season, you're going to lose a little cap room. So instead of 16, you know, the Jets are probably going to be operating at about 12. Um, you know, but, I mean, you, you could go through these guys. And I'm not, I'm not going to go through adding void years. You know, obviously, you could you could do that. Um, you know, but you can restructure him. Um, let me see. What does he have? Oh, I don't have down if these are regular roster bonuses that they earn. Let's just pretend they're not. Let's just restructure. Restructure Davis. No. There's really nothing you can do with that. Um, I'm not going to bother with him. Tomlinson, restructure. Um, I mean, there's a couple other guys. I won't run through those. But, you know, you've just jumped up to $37 million in cap room. And those are numbers that you can bring in. So your cap room from this year, I, I didn't look to see what it was when it started, but it should match up about with this. So your cap room when you started was 16. And, you know, you, you've only dropped that to 12, but you've increased your cap room this year to 37. Um, again, we're going to take off those couple of dollars on there, but, you know, that would give the Jets in the ballpark of $30 million to carry over. So that would jump the Jets here from 16 to 46. And, you know, that, that gets you right smack in the middle of the league. And now next year you can go in and you can restructure a bunch of players again for more cap relief. And that can probably get you into this, this zone where you're going to rank somewhere between like 10 and 12 in the league. And, you know, you go out there and you try to get as many free agents as possible to come in. The other thing that I think would be smart by doing something like this where you do build up to this 37 million, maybe even a little bit more than that, it gives you the ability to go out there and create trades. And, you know, one of the things that if the Jets do play well this year, always a big question, um, you know, if they were to play well, the Jets are the kind of team that can go in there and, you know, you kind of pick the bones of these teams that do have players that, you know, are effective, but their teams are maybe falling apart a little bit. You know, you, you look at, you know, a team like the Buccaneers. Um, I doubt they're trading a guy like a Mike Evans, but, you know, you, you've got all these players on Tampa Bay who are there that maybe you could go in and, you know, you can make a move to get some of those players. The Rams, you know, would they be open at some point to trading a Cooper Cup? Would they be open to trading an Aaron Donald? Um you know, the Titans with Derrick Henry and Zedarius Smith. He's on the Titans this year, I think, right? Uh, I might be getting him mixed up with somebody else. Um, the, uh, you know, the, you've got, a, a, you know, players there, um, you know, that you could you could go after, um, that you could potentially bring in. You know, you can look at players who are on a fifth-year option that maybe aren't playing that well. Um, imagine if the Chargers didn't fire. You know, there there's some players there you could go after. So... You know, I think that gives you an ability to kind of pick off some of these teams that are more in, more in a rebuilding mode, um, you know, to take some of those assets. You're not going to be able to do it. Or you're going to have a much more difficult time doing it when you've only got $10 million in cap room to work with. And, you know, then at that point in time, you're going to have to ask the other teams to pick up salary on those players. And when you do that, that's going to increase the trade compensation. And if you're talking about pretty good players, you know, the, those numbers could get pretty high. Um, so, you know, I, if I were the Jets, I, I think I would do that. And I think that would um, just open me up to the, the, the best possibilities of making moves in season this year 
and having that ability next year to, you know, really just take one more shot at it with Rodgers, you know, you keep your fingers crossed, hope he's at a, a, some kind of peak level. And really when you're, you're probably going to have the best years possible out of um, Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner, uh, and I, I know it's weird to say, like, well, you know, and then things might start to go down. It's a possibility that those players are going to peak year two, year three, and then you might get, you know, just a little bit of a decline and a little bit more. And, you know, as time goes on, you know, they're not as effective anymore. Um, you know, so I, I, I think this is your your key window of opportunity. So you want to, to manage your salary cap to make the most out of it. And again, if you're not, if you don't do any trades and you don't touch that money and all you did was create an extra $25 million in cap space to carry over, in no way, shape or form does it impact you negatively. It doesn't impact you negatively. The only way it impacts you negatively is if you've created that cap room to spend $10 million on Dalvin Cook. I mean, that that kind of stuff impacts you negatively, right? Because now you're, you're creating cap room and you're using it on something that's not an effective use of cap space. Um, but, you know, if you if you can go out there and you get a good player and you, you get a player that's filling a specific void for your team this year and your team is a, a very clear, um, not just a playoff contender, like a Super Bowl contender, you know, you, you go out and you make those moves. So I think that, the, you know, that this really does set the Jets up to do some stuff. Uh, but I think they have to take advantage of it. Um, so remains to be seen. You know, you've, you've got a lot of time to do it. I wouldn't do any of it now. If player gets hurt, I probably don't touch the contracts at that point because I, I think that's a that's a whole different ball game uh, when that kind of stuff happens. But if they're healthy going into the season, you know, do it that Tuesday. Do it uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, or wait till Friday before uh, you know the first game um, that you have, and you maximize your um, you know your, your cap savings um, that are there. Uh, so obviously the other big contract that comes down is the Justin Herbert deal. Um, it's a massive contract, uh, 262.5, 52.5 a year, um, 193.7 total, 133.7 full. Um, signing bonus is light at 16.1, but the big number here is his first year cash number, and you know it's 100 million. Now that doesn't mean he's getting 100 million this year. Um, he's getting 100 million over 23, 24, 25 in addition to the salary he was already going to earn as a rookie. Um, 32, 33 million, I, I think is what it was. It's probably 33, 7, 3, um, is what that's going to be. And you can see that that just blows away the market. So this here, this number here is, is a game changer um, at that position. Uh, one of the things that I thought was really neat with this deal is this is the first deal that very clearly was um, negotiated with one of the things that I harp about all the time, which is new guarantees. And that is taking out the existing salary that exists in that rookie contract or the veteran contract and backing that money out from the guaranteed total the way that we back it out from the contract value. Typically, Agents don't do that because it doesn't sound as good. But you can see how clean the numbers are for him. 100 million new full, 160 million injury protected. And, you know, you, you go back to his regular numbers here of the, these weird numbers, 133, 738, 193, 738. 
Um, you know, the, the very clearly, this is how this deal was negotiated. And I thought that was awesome because this is really the way more and more teams need to be discussing this stuff, um, you know, with the players. And this is really how more agents should do it because it, in some ways it can probably increase your guarantees. Now it didn't in this case, um, but in many cases it could. So, you know, I, I thought that that was a, um, a really good job by them. And, you know, the, the way his contract works is he's got all these guarantees in the future that kick in. And then he also has a, um, a salary that kicks in that is not guaranteed yet. Um, and that it will kick in. And that actually brings his new total guarantee up to 185 million, which is identical to Lamar Jackson's. So again, you, you can see where they came up with that number. Um, that was reported on, I think, 218 million. I didn't put the trigger dates in here. I have the trigger dates. I, I just didn't put them in yet for, uh, you know, when his salaries vest and, um, you know, how they how they work out. Uh, he's a phenomenal player, so I, I don't think there's any worries um, with that kind of stuff. Now, this contract, because of that big $100 million number, um, close out the Jets tab here, it brought up just more and more nonsense of discussions on this new money valuation and not new money valuation and it's not really that it's something different it's more like a 275 in this case it's more like a two 295 uh 295 for seven um versus 295.5 i i just never like these arguments for a couple of reasons um number one when you sit here and you compare certain players and you go, well, Justin Herbert's not really 52-5. And, you know, you, you'll compare him to say, you know, he, he really works out at 42-9, which is less than Josh Allen. And it's like, well, yeah, but Josh Allen's 43 isn't 43. If we're going to do it that way, you have to be consistent and you have to do every player by their effective value. Um you know, Herbert's, let me see. I think I have those calculations here. I call it an effective value. Some people call it a paper value. Um, so his effective is 42.3. And, you know, you can see Josh Allen is 35.6. So, you know, it, it's, again, you don't compare apples to apples if you're not doing it for every player. Now, Lamar Jackson was a franchise player, so he was technically a free agent, so you could do that. But you know, again, you have to find a way to compare an extension and a free agent. They're two very different, you know, contracts. And you can't bring one to to add up to the other. It just, it wouldn't make any sense for a team. Um, you know, if you wanted to, let me pull up Lamar Jackson. You know, if you wanted to match Lamar Jackson, so Lamar Jackson gets 262.5. Uh, I'm sorry, that's Herbert's. Uh, Jackson gets $260 million over five years. So he has a contract, Herbert has a contract that he has to honor, right? At this point in time, Justin Herbert has two years remaining on his deal. Uh, he has 2023 and 2024. And the salaries in those years are you know, about $4 million and $29 million, um, in the two seasons. Uh which he has to honor. If you are just taking a situation where you're going to say, oh, we're just going to throw those deals out. 
Well, how in the world does, you know, Jackson's contract compare with Herbert's contract then? Because the investment for the Chargers at that point becomes absurd, right? Because what you're looking at here is, yeah, I'll just do them in here. Um, when you're looking at, at him, you know, if you're just saying that we're going to give him a new five-year deal and it's going to be, uh, what was that number, 260? 260. You know, five years at 260. And he was already under contract for 33 million. You know, basically that means the Chargers just gave him a three-year extension for $76 million. So why would the Chargers have any desire to do that deal when the alternative would be well, we'll let him play for 4.3, we'll let him play for 29, and then we'll negotiate an extension. The market probably isn't going to increase by that much. So let's say they they did a contract at that point in time for 275 versus 260. You would have him under contract for 3083 divided by 7. And it would work out to an effective value of 44.04. So why would you do that versus this other option, which would be something like, um, you know, you, you would have a 227 plus whatever he would earn then to, to match that five years, because this one's going to run five. So, you know, you, you would have this other, other deal. You, you'd have to come in with another free agent contract. So... You have to value these deals in new money. Now, you can <clears throat> you can talk about the way that um, you want to value that first year cash. You know, we, we typically break them down as, you know, year zero, which is the money that you're earning um, over your rookie deal. You know, basically what's the prepayment on your extension. And then you get into your cash year one, year two, year three, year four. Um, but this number is important because even when you do have a player who's a free agent, you know, he, he's going to use this number, you know, and that number is a lot better than this one. Um, but you have to understand the way these situations work. It's like the team would have no reason to rip up the contract. And you can say that the players can threaten and not play. It's not really realistic. Um it's realistic when you're talking about a player who is a third contract guy, right? If you're Aaron Donald, you've already made like life-altering money on the front end of your first extension. If you're Aaron Rodgers, you've made life-altering money on all the different contracts you've had. You can go in there and you, you can threaten retirement, you can threaten whatever you want, and maybe there's a little bite to that. So those are those rare cases where a team might rip up a contract um, just because you don't really have another option. Your other option is probably to let the player go. But for a player like Herbert, his big, big, big money, you know, is not going to be unlocked until uh, 2024, um, you know, what he has. So, I mean, if you look at what he earned, and again, this is incredible amount of money, you know, $17.5 million as a rookie, $1.8 million in 2021, um, 3 million in 2022. Now, he would have earned in 2023 about 4 million more and he would have earned in 2024, I believe it was 29 million. So instead he's going to earn 17 and then he's going to earn 56. Um 
you know, but he wasn't going to have an ability to just say, well, I don't want to play football anymore. You know, that, that threat would have, you know, been pretty much a hollow threat, you know, because he wasn't, you know, really there. Um, you know, you take a player like a Jalen Hurts, you know, who had an honor, you know, a deal this year for $4 million. He was a second round pick. Like his, his money is nowhere near, um, you know, what Herbert's would have been. You know, what, what leg was he going to have to stand on to go, yeah, you, you don't have to honor this this fourth year. I don't want you to honor it. I just want to match, you know, the, the biggest number that exists um, without that number in there as if it didn't exist. The team doesn't have the, the need to do that. That's a problem with the system. But the, the team doesn't have any reason to do that. And I don't know why we get on these debates where we try to minimize um, the value of the contract. You can minimize the value of the guarantee because the guarantee is not being reported 90% of the time in the right way because you're reporting a full, a, a total guarantee over the course of that entire contract, but you're only reporting new money on the deal. It's got to be, you know, you, you should be consistent with it. Um, but beyond that, you know, I, I don't really understand why we continue to go down that route, um, you know, and do that. You know, if you want to devalue every player's contract in here, um, you could do that. And you know what would have happened is Lamar Jackson right now, if, if we valued every deal as if we didn't, we, we just were going to rip up the contracts, Lamar Jackson wouldn't be at $52 million. Lamar Jackson would be at $40 million a year. $42 million a year. You know, it, it, that's the way these things work. Russell Wilson wouldn't be at 49. You know, Russell Wilson would be at 40, 38. So it, it's like we, we go down this route and it just doesn't make any sense. Doing the numbers this way is really the, the only way that you can kind of compare apples to apples for what are not, you know, very similar situations. Um you know, and you have to look at these deals that this is a concept of buying out free agency. You know, that, that is effectively what you're doing as a team. You're saying, look, you're going to be a free agent two years from now. The risk is on you, right? You have two sets of risks. There's a risk that you're not going to play very well. I don't think that that really pertains as much to quarterbacks, but it can. Um, and there's a threat of injury. I would say that is definitely less on the quarterback front, but, you know, if you do suffer a serious injury like a Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, that, that completely changes things. Doing the extension, you know, the risk transfers completely from the player to the team um, because they're, they're going to take on all that risk of injury. Uh, they're going to protect a bunch of money for skill, so they're also taking on that risk that, you know, you're not an effective player anymore. So, you know, it, it's for many players you don't want to get through year five and go into free agency. Um, you know, free agency is really good when you're effective. Free agency is not as good when you're not. And given that you're, you're under contract for so long as a rookie that the teams have control um, for such a period of time, you know, within that system, this is really the way I think that you, um, you have to do it. Now, in terms of this contract itself, um, you know, I just pulled up, uh, let me get rid of Josh Allen. That's not really a comparable at this point. Uh, Jalen Hurts would be the other guy. So let's just see how the numbers break down here. And, you know, I I thought that Herbert or Burrow uh, 
you know, probably would have gotten to 53, maybe a little bit higher, um, you know, because I thought one of them would get to 55. And what worries me a little bit is it's very incremental growth. We have 51 to 52 to 52.5. So I, I think you're seeing a slowing down as to what teams are going to be willing to pay uh, pay the quarterbacks. Um, you know, the cash flows, like I mentioned, this is the huge thing, is that $100 million in year one. Year two, you know, he's at 124 compared to 112. In year three, we make the turn and he comes back down to earth, right? He's at 160. Lamar Jackson's at 156. We have a 212 to 208, then 262.5 to 260. So this is pretty clear uh, a deal to me where it's these two front-end cash numbers along with, you know, taking that guarantee that gets the, the deal locked in versus here where the Chargers kind of brought it down to cost certainty levels to where it's just a, a minor jump over Lamar Jackson. So, you know, you, you didn't get a lot of movement that way. Um, the guarantees, I thought, were kind of light overall. Um, you know, even though the numbers are big with the 193.7 and the reported 218 and the 133.7, um, you know, when you get into these new guarantees, you had a 185 for Jackson, you had a 175 for Hertz, and then a 160 for Herbert. Um, you know, your guarantees per year, um, he's 38.7. He's a little bit lower uh, than Jackson on the full per year. Um, you know, but I, I thought though that number was a little light as well. So it's upfront cash is really good and really important, I think, for the league. Uh, this is really your first significant movement, I think, since the Dak Prescott contract a couple of years ago. Um, you know, that really helps push things, you know, forward for the quarterbacks. But, um, you know, I, I thought this was overall a little bit light, um, you know, and how far maybe they, they could have pushed these numbers. But one of the things that, and I realized this after the fact, I don't remember if I was, uh, might have been talking with Brad about it or something. Um, you know, when I started to look back at players that had two years remaining on their contracts, even for, you know, the good quarterbacks, you started to realize that the, the resetting of the markets were not to the same level. Um, you know, and in some cases, guys didn't even hit it. And I think that's just because of that extra year of risk that's involved and it's almost like you're, you're getting money two years earlier so you know if, if you are taking into account some kind of time value of money equation for both sides um, you know that can devalue the contracts somewhat as well uh, from a salary cap perspective it's similar to the um, somewhat similar to the Hertz deal not to that same level but first three years in this deal you know moderate cap number so his cap number remains un, unchanged for this year because um, they should have gotten his roster bonus out of it as part of this. Uh, he'll be under $20 million next year. He'll be at 37-4 uh, the following year. You get to 46, you get to 58. They can deal with all this. This is the only one where you just say, okay, well, where is the cap going to be? It's probably going to be pretty high, so that's probably not going to be worrisome. But I do look at that cap number, especially if they have to go in here and restructure in either of these two years. You might be able to get this to an albatross level to where they can look at doing another uh, another extension. Now, depending on how things shake out, you know, with some of the stuff that I had mentioned before, this would be one of those areas where, you know, maybe, maybe you can get that little that little bit of bump where you can get some years thrown off a deal. But more more so than that, these are what you would call the cash light years of the contract. Um, kind of weird to say that on a contract that averages fifty two five. Um, but you know they're a little lighter in the cash than up front, 
So if you do an extension over that, you know, that's going to bump his salary, which here is uh, 52 million. You know, that might bump it to 95 million. So I, I think this is very important for them. The, the bigger the number, the, the bigger that the, tr uh, the Chargers make this number, the more things probably work in his favor for doing another extension um, down the line. Uh, as for the Chargers cap-wise, you know, they're at 12-2 right now. Um, next year, you know, they're in rough shape. They're going to have to gut their roster. Um, you know, they're, they're going to have to make some wholesale changes. You look where they are in 2025. Um, you know, they're, they're still kind of towards the bottom of the league. Even though it's a lot of room, they're near the bottom. It's not even worth it to go this far out anymore. You know, really, you're dealing with two-year windows in the NFL these days. So getting him at a low number, uh, which is, you know, $10 million off where he was before, um, gives them some ability at least to, to, you know, work around some of the numbers with him. Um, you know, it also gets him under contract before maybe something happens where you start to feel like, okay, what am I here for when in the, his fifth year, um, the Chargers really went all in um, last year and this year. And you, you almost look at it like this is a pullback season. Um, you know, given their cap situation and everything else, you know, that they, they might not have that ability, um, you know, to go in there and really put together another big team. You're probably going to see a lot of cuts and a lot of players moving off the team. So that, that gets rid of any of that drama um, that could exist. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting um, because it, this is possibly a, a deal where it's kind of all in on 2023. 2024 might actually be a step back, but in 2025, they have that cap hit low enough to where once they make those other changes, they're probably going to jump, you know, somewhere up in here. Gives them one more shot, I think, to, to do some stuff with him when his cap numbers are at 37 and then 46, um, you know, to, to where you can kind of try to retool that team again. But you might be sacrificing 2024 a bit in the process to do that. Um you know, but I, I think this was probably as, as good of a deal as the Chargers could have done. And so I, I think that's, um, you know, pretty good for them. And, he, you know, he gets a lot of protection. He gets stuff locked in. The quarterback salaries are so high. It's, you know, I'm not sure if people really, uh, you know, even care that much sometimes about those. Um, you know, I made a comment about it with Joe Burrow, who unfortunately got a calf strain uh, a little bit after that. But, you know, I made a comment on Twitter, which, God, Bengals fans, very, very angry when you, you mention anything about finances with them. Um, you know, I just said, you know, this is a very different spot for the Bengals with Joe Burrow um, than the Chargers with uh, Justin Herbert. And no way, shape, or form am I saying a deal is not going to get done with Joe Burrow. No way, shape, or form did I say or put Joe Burrow will not be the highest paid player in the NFL. There's a lot of differences that you're going to look at in structure when you're talking about the Bengals versus the Chargers, and that is basically the Bengals won't guarantee any salary in the deals. Um, you know, they'll pay you a ton of money up front. The contracts are better contracts than you see uh, many other teams give. Um, they're going to be a lot more money up front a lot of times, and much larger signing bonus. You get a uh, nice roster bonus in the second, sometimes even the third year, um, but you don't get that on a piece of paper protection, even though they're going to honor the deal. Um, that's just the way they do stuff. If he signed for seven years, you could probably guarantee no matter how good or how bad he's going to be, he would be there at least six of those seven years. Um, but, 
you know, in, in a league where you, you really try to push sometimes these guaranteed numbers and you don't get into the nuances of some of these other things. And th- this is one of the things that's probably a negative a little bit for the Bengals. The fact that Herbert got to that $100 million new money number, um, you know, which is super big, you know, that's such a big number. It, it's like that takes a little bit out from the Bengals. You know, one of the things they could have offered is, let, let's say that Herbert came in very similar to Lamar Jackson. Let's say he came in at 82 or 83. If you become the first player that hits, um, you know, 100 in new money in that first year, you know, that looks really big. Now, for the Bengals, if you're going from 100 to 105, it's like that's not as big of a deal. Now, they might structure it in a way to where it all hits this year, you know, a lot of it. Um you know, and that that's that's obviously game changer too, but that changes the way some of the reporting goes on it. So it was more a comment of just you know a deal is not going to be imminent, and you know one of the things, and this is one of those things with Twitter, um, and, I, and I guess all this stuff. You know, if there's one thing that I know, and I know you get I get stuff wrong from time to time, you know, a player wrong on a team I think before, and. Uh, you know, you, you get things wrong. I think it was Zedaria Smith, right? I mentioned Titans. He's on the uh, Browns, right? Um, you know, different things time to time. One thing that I know is most of the contract stuff. Um, so don't claim that this is the new Bengals. You know, don't come at me with, oh, Orlando Brown got his whole deal guaranteed or whatever it was. That was uh, fake news. Um, <laughs> that wasn't That wasn't real. He got a ton of money up front this year. He didn't get his contract guaranteed. Um, you know, usually the the step for a team like the Bengals would be to do injury protection. It would be injury guarantees, um, you know, versus the the vesting type guarantees or whatever. But you just wait to see. But I, I think it's just a, a more drawn out negotiation just because of that aspect of it. But it, it's not that the Bengals are going to be cheap. Um, you know, in doing this. And I, I don't think the Bengals want to do too much in the way of the guarantees either because, again, while you can always make exceptions for a quarterback, it does become difficult um, when you're dealing with other negotiations. And obviously they have two wide receivers that are going to want to get paid to say that, well, we were willing to bend the rules for this player, but we're not willing to bend them for you. And, you know, that, that just becomes a little bit more difficult. So... Do I think a deal will get done? Yeah, a deal will probably get done. I just meant to say that it was not going to be a situation I didn't think. I thought the odds were very against it being, okay, Justin Herbert's done today. Within 48 hours, Joe Burrow's going to be done. Like, it just, that I don't think would fit the uh, the Bengals' um, way that they work. <coughs> ah, excuse me. Um, you know, other deals that came down. Uh, let's see, what, what are some of the other ones? So you had Andrew uh, Andrew Thomas on the Giants. Um, this was a this is a really good deal, I think, for New York. Um, you know, you you can paint this as a win win. Um, you know, some different ways that you can you can look at this deal, uh, but ultimately, you know, he comes in um, second highest paid player at the position and. I'm sure the Giants sell this as well. You know, on someone that's a long-term deal, you know, you, you're the you're the highest paid. You're at twenty-three-five. He's only at twenty-five. You have a one seventeen-five new value. Um, this is only seventy-five million. You're making more money than Trent Williams, who's on a six. Uh, we're giving you the um, second highest guarantee at the position with sixty-seven. 
uh, fully guaranteed the most ever at 67 million at signing. Um, you know, but you start to get into these numbers. You know, first year cash, he ranks third. You know, and th this is a pretty big gap between Bakhtiari, um, Stanley, and uh, Thomas. Uh, three year cash, you know, he's, it's, uh, he's still down from Tunsil. So he didn't really match. You know, one of the ways that you can do these kind of deals is you would say, okay, well, we want more years from you. You're going to give us more years, but we'll match the cash for the three years. We'll, we'll match Tunsil at 75. Um, for you for those three years, and then we'll bring your numbers a little bit down on the back end, um, you know, to get you down to the tw to the twenty three five. His is more very straight, you know, that that it goes to that seventy two two. So I, I thought that was all really good by the Giants. I thought they kept the uh, the payments relatively low on the front end of the deal. I thought this was a deal where when you you get into that the new guarantees on it, um, you know, that this didn't work out as much in his favor um you know as some of the other guys you know on the full aspect it is you know uh 5125 with stanley thomas is at 47 8 and then you got a big gap to williams at 40 but when you get into the injury protection you know you're, you're at the um you know 58 for stanley and then you're at 48 for thomas williams is up to 45 armstead is at 43 and you know you start getting into some of these other deals and you know the amount of play, uh, the amount of years that the player is under contract is a lot less, and you can see in his guarantees per year, you know his his numbers are good, but they're not like great. Um, you know, I, I I would say they're just solid, and you know you, you get into when you could release a player in theory, um, you know, and I, this would be more of a trade because you know his salary is already guaranteed in twenty twenty six. But you get into those last three years, and you know, even if they had a restructure one, probably even two times, um, definitely cuttable. And you look at the uh, the cap numbers. I mean, they they just did a rock solid job. It's just steady: twenty three six, twenty point nine, twenty point four, twenty two four, twenty two four, twenty two nine. So you're talking about a player at a position that ages very gracefully. You know, you do get players onto a third contract with this. And you've got him under contract for five new years. And, you know, he's not going to be eligible for free agency until he's 31. Um, you might be able to hold off on an extension until he's 29 or 30. So, you know, the Giants just have lots of flexibility with this to where you have the best young left tackle in the NFL. And I have a feeling that this 23-5, two years from now, is probably going to be closer to what you see more of your above average starters getting versus your high level tackles and so the giants will have a good contract on their hands a couple of years from now um you know the years you would have liked to have seen him get less years i don't know what leg there was to stand on with that you know you look at the left tackle market and yet there's a lot of these guys at four years and three years but these are not top-level players. You know, Colton Miller is not a top-level left tackle. Garrett Bowles is not a top-level left tackle. Um, good players. But they're not like the the elite-level players. But, you know, the, one of the things that I look at with this is if you are an elite-level player, and by offering 23-5, very clearly, um, Giants are considering him an elite-level player, I just think it should give you an ability to push for more. Push for more up front in the contract, push for more guaranteed total, 
um, you know, just some different things that you can get. And, you know, I know the situations are very different and I know they're comping him to, uh, to here with the Ravens, right? And that's a five-year deal. Um, you know, and that this was a player who was also signed like halfway through, um, if I remember right, halfway through his fourth year. So similar to Thomas in that there was two years under contract remaining. Um, you know, but I, I think when you see Tunsil at three, and Tunsil did have that deal before that was three years. Now, granted, um, he did only have the uh, one year remaining on it. Um, you know, when you see Bakhtiari at four, Williams is only at six, so he could get to a certain number. He needed to get to a number that reset the market, and that was the only way San Francisco was going to do it. You know, I would look at those two, and I, I would just really try to make this about getting a four-year deal. Um, I think that would have given Thomas a much better position towards the end of it, because all these numbers, in my mind, should have stayed the same, even on a four-year contract. Um, you know, at that fifth year, realistically, you know, this number should be bumped. I mean, th this should be at like 77 or 80 or something like that. Um, especially when you look at Tunsil. I mean, you're talking about three years in length. Um, new guarantee, what was his? 31 and 41. So, you know, you're, you're at, you know, 10 million and change per year, you know, and you're only at 9.5. Um, you know, and Tunsil's injury protection is like 13.8 per year. You're at 9.5. Those numbers should be bigger. You know, those numbers should be like 11. They, they should be somewhere in that ballpark to kind of keep up with the other players. Um, now, there there are some things non-guaranteed that might be, you know, funny money guarantees and some other ones. Like, he, he didn't get per-game roster bonuses or workout guarantees. Um, and th those are silly guarantees. Those are ways to inflate it. So his earnings are higher. That, 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 can, that can close that gap a little bit on the guarantees. Like, if they had guaranteed these um, bonuses the way, like, the Jets do or San Francisco might... Um, Eagles, I think, do that as well. You know, that might have increased it a little bit. Um, you know, put a little bit more in line. Uh, but even still, you know, I, I would take that, um, you know, again, as just a, I think, a solid deal for the team. Um, you know, so that that was another one that I think uh, came down. Um, so, yeah, I think that was a good job by the Giants. You know, that was a, uh, that was a job by the Giants that was pretty solid um overall and I, I think this is one that they certainly won't regret um like some of the other you know bad deals um that they had done in the past um you know let's see who who else <laughs> you know we've, we've just got so many different things you've got contract stuff going on with um you know lots of different players uh so we got digs let's pull up digs cole Kmet, trey hendrickson Buda Baker. I mean, that, those were more just kind of solving some contract issues here. Um, you know, Hendrickson and Baker, you know, they're, they're like some small raises here for some extra money down the line. Uh, Saquon Barkley, I think that was this week, right? Um, you know, after all that, that he, uh, you know, takes that, that deal or whatever. But, uh, yeah, so here's Diggs' contract with Dallas. This is another really good one, um, I thought. So he gets the 19-4. Um, you know, he's a second-round pick. He gets a ton of interceptions. And you, you can argue the efficiency of a player like Diggs, all right? It, he's a gambler. Um, you know, best comparison might be a guy like a Marcus Peters. Um, not Marcus Peters now, but Marcus Peters, you know, years ago when, 
he was probably a high risk, high reward player. And I, I think there are probably ways to, to work out the numbers to where um, you can actually find a benefit to the um, high risk, high reward kind of thing that, you know, that if you're a shutdown corner, you know, one of the things that I've talked about a lot here is because of the way the passing game works in today's NFL, having a shutdown corner is not enough. And if you're locking down your target, um, but all that's doing is funneling the targets to somebody else who's catching the football, you're not really doing that much. You know, overall, it, it's a minimal impact probably on the game. Um, if you're somebody who gives up some big plays, uh, but they're not that much bigger than maybe some other players on your own team would be giving up, but at the same time, you know, you, you are, you know, defending some passes and more so than that, you're, you're getting the ball back in the hands of your offense, that might actually over, um, that might actually outweigh some of the negatives that come. So, I mean, you can see his valuation that we had is pretty low, um, you know, relative, you know, at 8 million. And that's in part because his um, PFF grade, which I don't have in front of me, but uh, I'm sure his PFF grade was not that good. Um, and I, I would say that, you know, I, I usually calculate a kind of a net yards given up by a uh, by a corner, um, you know, based on you know interceptions, yards, you know, kind of yards per targety kind of thing, um, you know, some some stuff like that. And you know, he was probably pretty low. He probably gave up a lot more yards than you would expect for someone who was targeted that amount of times. Um, so you know, I didn't have him as very high, but I know from a realistic standpoint, teams value those interceptions pretty highly, and it's not like. Um, you know Jackson on the Chargers, who struggled a bit in free agency. There's a big difference when you, you're a, a number um, a second round draft pick versus like an undrafted type. Um, you know you, you don't have those questions about um, how you can play in free agency and you know that that kind of stuff. So you know the breakdown on this deal is pretty solid. Um, you know you, you look at the numbers. So he he does. Um, you know, get the guarantee that kicks in, but I believe that the guarantee kicks in in this year, in 2025. Uh, let me see if we have the notes on that. Yeah, injury guarantee uh, doesn't guarantee until 2025. So if you have if you have him here, and let's say he, the gambling no longer pays off, you can drop him 1275 on the cap. That's not bad. That is not bad at all. Um, you know, 2026, you can drop them at 8.5. So, I mean, unless they have to go in and restructure, and, you know, realistically, it's 11 million base, 16 cap. Um, where are they with their cap right now? Dallas, 2024. 9 million. Eh, I mean, they might have to. <laughs> you know, I, I would say it's unlikely that they, they would have to do that. I, I think they could um, maybe get away with it because they're going to do some stuff with Dak that'll... Um, change their salary cap situation a bit, um, you know. So I, I I just think this is really solid for them. Um, you know these these numbers don't jump on the cap until much later, and you know the odds of him um, earning this in twenty twenty seven probably pretty slim. He's got four two five dead. So I mean you can go back in there and you can uh, you know renegotiate to something lower at that point. Um, let me just see how his 
numbers work out overall. Oops, we are having a little problem here. Let me uh, pause this real quick. All right, sorry about that. Um, I think it's working now. Something, something wasn't plugged in right or something there, um, but I think I have that set up. Um, so Diggs's numbers here, um, you know, 19 for a year. Um, let me just pull those up within market just to give you an idea. Corner. You know, he's uh, one, two, three, four, five, you know, sixth in the league at corner, um, or tied for fifth, I guess, with uh, Lattimore. Um, you know, and Lattimore's guarantees, you can see, are much, much better than Diggs's package. You know, 68-4 to 42-3. Um, 44-3 to 33-3. Uh, you know, new guarantees are probably closer um, because Lattimore probably had more money in the existing rookie deal. Uh, let's just see here. Whoops, let's get rid of left tackle. Uh, Lattimore was 33-5. Um, Diggs is 29-38. Yeah, I mean, there's no comparison. I mean, there's no... Man, there's just no comparison there. Um, you know, his cash flows on this deal, um, you know, big for him. He gets an $18 million raise this year, um, $30 million through year one, um, you know, an extra another $10 million salary in year two to get to 40. And you can see Dallas bumps up those numbers in the last two years with those uh, salaries of 20.5 and 21 million. And, you know, again, when, when you go back to that, cap breakdown, um, you know, these years are what I would call not likely to be earned. Um, so really, you're probably looking at a 55-5, uh, you know, over three. So 18.5 is probably the number that Dallas is in at on this deal. Um, so, you know, I, I think that uh, this really works out for Dallas in terms of value. And you have to separate the two things sometimes. Um, you know the 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 your opinions on a player and what the market will bear um you know in my mind this is very much um under i i think what a market value would be for him and you know dallas dallas probably doesn't get enough credit for some of the contracts that they do dallas actually does a lot of good contracts you know you see that obviously with zach martin complaining about his deal um tyron smith's deal uh, you know, what happens is Dallas gets kind of blindsided by some of these deals they do that aren't, you know, great. You know, Ezekiel Elliott, um, which was just a byproduct of just bad decision making. Jalen Smith, um, you know, you run into some of those things. But at the same time, they, they do some pretty good contracts. And this is one of them. I mean, if you just want to look, I'm just going to compare it to Lattimore's cash breakdowns. And the Saints actually do a pretty good job with their deals, too, um, you know, relative to what someone expects. So he makes out better this year than Lattimore did over the... He probably had, he might have had two years left. Um, you know, but you can see it's a 31 to 30, so they're close. Year two, I mean, it's 45.5 to 40. I mean, these are players on the same annual value, 60.5 to 55.5, you know, 78.5 um, to 76, 97.97. So, again, that, that catch-up really doesn't happen until year four, year five. He's not going to be there. You know, the odds are strongly against it. And if he's still there, you're not going to complain about the salaries at that point because that, that means that he was playing fantastic. So, 
you know, I, I think that this is a very good deal for Dallas. Now, obviously, he needs to probably stabilize a little bit in performance, but just in terms of looking at a contract and what players typically might make um, who kind of fit that same same mold, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, that's very good. Um, sorry, sorry, just making sure I was actually still recording a separate audio file. Um, so, you know, I think that was a, uh, that that's a good one. So I, I think that this is a really solid deal for Dallas. Um, you know, I like this one as, as well, um, of the deals that came down. Um, Cole Komet, oh, we've got a problem here. I got to check out why this is uh, showing up this way. Usually this means we have an error in our back end. So I got to, I got to look to see what that error is. Um, but something is, uh, screwing up on it. Um. Yeah, I'll, I'll see what we have here. But uh, something is not right. And I can also get 21 naughty wedding pictures. That's great. Um, one of these days, i got to learn how to control that stuff a little bit better. Um, <laughs> so anyway, he, uh, you know, he, he signs the extension. Um, this comes in under, like, the Dawson Knox territory um, a little bit. Let me just pull those up. Tight end. Where's he at here? He's a 12-5, so he matches Hunter Henry, um, you know, in, in that regard. Uh, but he, he's a little below Dawson Knox. He's a little below David Njoku. And I, I think that was kind of important to get done. Um, you know, he does get a nice guarantee package, um, you know, 22-9 full, uh, moderate signing bonus at 8. Uh, big thing for him, I think, was the first year cash comes in at 20 so, you know, that, that's a lot better than many of these other players. So, you know, it's a lot of money up front. Now, the Bears are in a position where, um, you know, they, they probably want to spend some of that money up front. Um, you know, by year three, obviously, he, he's more in line with Dawson Knox at that point in time. So, you know, I, I think this one is probably falls into the category a little bit more of a, um, you know, a win-win um, kind of situation. I think he benefits from the Bears' position with having to spend. Um, let's just pull up Dawson Knox and Njoku. You know, he probably benefited from that a little bit. That probably helped him out. Um, you know, but it, it's not like anything else. Yeah, that, that's what we have wrong. So I, I got to look to see because obviously it's not pulling the numbers properly and it, it blew up his webpage. So I'm not able to uh, to check that out right now. I gotta I gotta figure out what the the fix is on that. Um, so yeah, the, these numbers are all incorrect here. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure what uh, what's going on there. But um, I'll I'll take a look at it and see what uh, what data entry was incorrect there. Um, you know, but the the numbers wise, you know, it's a um, you know that that one is a little bit more of a solid deal. Um, I think again for both, but that that's one of those deals that might skew a little bit in favor um, of him as a tight end. And I got to look at vesting dates on here, um, you know, to see if there's that protection. But uh, you know, certainly by 2026, you can drop out of it, um, you know, and and move on um, from there. So I'll see. I'll, I'll get this one fixed and uh, figure out what those issues are. But you know, th this one is a uh, I think a pretty solid. Um, pretty solid deal for him overall, but I, I think it's a good deal for Chicago as well. And you know, Chicago's in a position where 
you know, they, they you want to start extending some of your own players. You want to kind of set that tenor um, because, you know, last year you, you had the issues with Roquan Smith to where you couldn't get a deal done there. So th- this gives you that ability to, um, you know, maybe get a contract done. Um, I think that was most of the deals that came down. Um, you know, Hunter came to an agreement with Minnesota today. Um, Hendrickson gets one year. So Hendrickson, what they did is they gave him a $5 million raise this year. Um, you know, I, I don't even, I think I have it in the notes here. Uh, let's see. I got a typo. Um, cap number 23 is basically unchanged. 2024 increases just by 2.7 million. And now he's under contract this year. He'll have a cap number of 18.6 if they get there. It's only 2.6 dead. So, you know, in in many ways, you the Bengals probably look at this as, okay, he wanted a raise. He's outperformed his contract. Now, Bengals have never done this before with two years remaining on a contract. I pulled all the numbers up. You'd have to go all the way back to pre-2011 CBA, you know, Carson Palmer, um, you know, when he was on that rookie deal. You know, they did like a 10-year contract or 12-year contract with him. Um, so they, they've never really done this before. But I have a feeling this was he probably wanted more money for this season. They were probably not willing to just say, look, we're going to give you $5 million more. Or, you know, we're not going to take $5 million from next year and move it up to 2023 because all that means is we're going to have more of a problem next year when you want to redo your contract, right? That That's what happened with Minnesota and Hunter. Um, you know, you move money up to kind of try to pacify a situation. But, you know, eventually that situation blows up on you and you've still got to get a deal done, which Minnesota had to do with a one-year $17 million, I think is what it is, um, that they end up doing with Hunter. But, uh, you know, I, so I think what you had happen here was we're not going to give him a $5 million raise. You know, that, that sets a really bad precedent. We don't want to take $5 million from 24 and move to 23 because, A, that probably sets a bad precedent for us. B, it... Um, creates a scenario in 2024 where we're just going to have more issues with them on an extension. So what if we just do the one-year contract, we call it 21, so now he's going to be, um, you know, pretty highly paid among edges, right? You know, you, you're going to move him up now from, you know, he was at 15, so now you're going to look and be like, hey, we're now valuing you as a $21 million player. Um, you know, you, you're right in line with all these other guys. And it really delays a situation, you know, from getting out of hand. And I think if you go and we, if we look at his history of earnings um, with the Bengals, let's see, he earned about 20, earned about 12, he'll earn 18, 15, 16. These numbers probably aren't going to cause a tremendous problem. You know, they, they probably won't. He was going to earn 13, now he earns 18. 15, certainly 15 is probably going to be okay. Um, 16 might even be okay. So if you're the Bengals, you know, th- this might just give you that extra year of certainty if he's still playing well, um, you know, when you, you can keep him. So I, I think that was okay for them. Um, Buda Baker was the other one. His is now two years, 14-1. They gave him like a $300,000 signing bonus. Um, you know, I, I I don't even have the, the numbers in front of me for what what it was before. I mean... It's a little bit of a raise um, over where he was. Um, I don't think it's a. Um, I don't think it's a huge thing. I didn't even put it in the notes here. The the changes that existed. I, I probably should have. 
Um, but, you know, they guaranteed a salary for the year. Very modest signing bonus. So I would imagine, unless there's a no trade that I don't know about, um, this is one of those where you're getting a deal done and it's like, well, you know, we, we still are open to trading the player. Um, you know, and you might get that. And, you know, that's the same thing with Hunter and the Vikings. Um, that's a deal that should have been done before. Like, you know, very early on, if you can't trade him, you know that that trade market doesn't exist. So you need him to show up. You need him to be locked in. You need him to play well. Because the trade market for a lot of these players really maximizes in season, not out of season. You know, for these players that are more of a one-year rental or nearing kind of the end of their careers, when you're a team like Arizona that's not expected to be good, you might have a team that's doing well that needs help at safety, and they might be willing to pick up of this $13 million. They might be willing to pick up $8 million of it or $6 million of it, $7 million of it. So, you know, you're, you're trying to put your best foot forward, keep the player happy, keep him performing well, and at the same time, that gives you the ability to maximize your trade compensation. Um, you know, I mentioned about the Jets before. Any team that needs a pass rusher is going to look at a hunter if they don't have to get involved with a long-term contract right now. You know, if in week six you're four and two, uh, but you want to improve your pass rush or you, you just think you can, you know, maybe even just block him from going to another team while at the same time helping yourself, you know, you'll, you'll be willing to pick up $8 million in salary. So it doesn't really cost you that much more if you're the Vikings, you know, to pacify the situation because your trade potential is still there. And maybe if you were only being offered like a four or a five, you know, in season, that could jump as high as like a two. Um, you know, if you find the right team, if you find a desperate team for it. So I, I in my mind, these situations should resolve themselves earlier. I, I understand why they don't, um, you know, but they should. Um, you know, they just it doesn't happen enough. Um, let's see, were there any other deals that I am kind of forgetting here? I don't think so. I don't think there's anything else. So, you know, the other thing which I wrote about a little bit is Nick Bosa didn't show up to camp. And Nick Bosa, so Nick Bosa can get fined, I think it's 40,000 a day. It's either 40 or 50. I think it's 40,000 a day. And for each preseason game he misses, he gets fined a pretty hefty amount. It's close to a million dollars a game, $900,000 a game, um, give or take a little bit. Now, those fines can be rescinded by the team. It's not the same situation as with a veteran player. But the fact that he didn't show up to camp, um, that probably tells me a little bit more that he is not close to a deal with San Francisco. And... You know, I, I think that, you know, th this Aaron Donald contract that came down, um, I think has kind of thrown the market into chaos, uh, you know, where he's the guy that got to 31-7. And, you know, I, I think that that really changes, um, you know, changes the outcomes for a lot of things. So let me just pull this up because I think I have some... Uh, some numbers here. So this was just a look at how the the defensive player market has evolved over years. So Mario Williams, uh, now this is looking at long-term deals, so I'm not looking at like a Julius Peppers one-year deal in here. Uh, Mario Williams was at 16 million. That was 6.7% over the high water mark before that, not including like the some of the silly stuff that was done by the Raiders. Um, JJ Watt, 16.7, that was a 4.2 growth. Sue, hit it big in free agency, jumps to 19. That was a 14.4% growth. 
Von Miller was 0.1%. You know, that was nothing. Uh, Khalil Mack was the big monster at 23-1. Now, Aaron Donald also signed basically the same day. I mean, they they were like a day apart. Um, Aaron Donald was 22-5, so you could use that one too. Uh, It's a little bit lower percentage. Um, But I just figured that they were kind of working independently, and uh, so I thought this was more realistic. Um, You know, you didn't get another market setter until 2020, so it took a couple of years. That was a 6.4%. you know, and then that was exceeded later that summer by 8%. And then you had TJ Watt, who only got a 4% raise. I think um, in hindsight, they focused too much on guarantees rather than probably upping his actual value. And then you got this big jump out of nowhere to 31.7, uh, which is a 13% increase. So, you know, you, you could you could get in there and say that, you know, your average jump is about 9%. Um, you know, and the problem is, it's like, well, what are you basing these numbers off of? And, you know, you, you get into different deals. So if you took the 8% increase um, and you use Watt as the high, high-end high player, um, because basically what you're saying is, well, this is a legitimate contract for TJ Watt. You know, it's a four-year deal, I think it was a five-year deal or whatever. Um, you know, we had an existing year that was on there. It wasn't like the Aaron Donald situation that's kind of... Um, bogus and you're talking about an APY over three years and you know so what if, what if we took 8% on him you know you'd get uh, $53 million paid year one $75 million by year two that works out to an average APY of 37.7 uh, year three you'd have about $98 million paid out that's 32.7 which is actually higher um, you know than uh Aaron Donald, right? Where's Aaron Donald? Aaron Donald's at 31.67. So if you're just comparing years, um, you know, you're over that number. But now following the TJ Watt structure, you're going to drop down to 30.2 million APY over four. And we're just going to give it an artificial bump to hit 32 million overall in year five. Um, You know, but we don't work sometimes on this number. You know, everyone is focused on this number. And you know, to go from 32 down to 30 and then go back up for a real high-end player, that might not be acceptable. Um, you know, now, if you, you took a $32 million base, and you know what, Watt's deal is probably four years, right? T.J. Watt is four. Yeah, T.J. Watt's four. I think I was just applying that as a five. You're throwing in that fifth year to get there. Um, so let's say you use $32 million, which is, you know, basically the, the base value that you want to get to to exceed Donald. But you use the the um, TJ Watt cash flow structure versus the Aaron Donald cash flow structure, you can see how this obliterates Donald's three year. You know, San Francisco would be looking at a 103 payment, which works out to about 35, uh, 34 six per year, um, which is way above Aaron Donald's 31 six seven. And then you're going to do a fourth year to bring it down to 32. So you know that would be a problem for San Francisco. And then what I what I call it the disaster scenario was what if they wanted to apply a 13% raise on Donald's APY, which means you want to get up to about $36 million a year if you're Nick Bosa. And um, again, using Watt's contract as the guideline and where you get into those years, right? We're talking about a four-year deal, not a five-year deal. Um, You're talking about paying $63 million in new money over the first year. 44.7 would be your average over two. 38.8 over three when the the high-end market's at like... um, you know, whatever T.J. Watt is probably now, uh, what's, what is, 
TJ Watts at 90.8. Aaron Donald is at 95. So 95 would be your um, high end. So you'd be at 95, and you'd be talking about 116 compared to 95. And then you'd be at 143.4 to get to that average of 35.9, um, you know, on the top, on the back end. So, you know, depending on what you're going with, there's so many different ways that I could see the, these numbers playing out because of that Donald deal. I, I think it just it makes for a situation where the two sides might be pretty far apart just because you, you can't even agree on, well, what is our baseline? Is our baseline TJ Watt? Is our baseline Aaron Donald? Um, should it be Aaron Donald's three? Like, as long as we match Aaron Donald's three, that should be fine. And that's right in line with TJ Watts. And then you get into, well, what kind of increase are we talking? Is Nick Bosa the same as like a Khalil Mack? Is Nick Bosa the same as um, Aaron Donald? Or is Nick Bosa more like his brother? Um, you know, w what is that number? So it seems like, you know, may maybe these are things that obviously they, they should have had maybe hammered out before, but there's just so many ways that this can go. Um, I just kind of see this one as being complicated. Now, this is the contract that should set the edge market. Um, you know, th this will this will solidify it. So this will this will take the the Donald stuff kind of out of the equation. Um, you know, but th this will you know th this will take that out. But it will um, you know I, I think uh, put some sorry Nelly's jumping around here. Uh, I think that it'll uh, it'll put some clarity as to where pass rushers are going to go in the future um you know but it, it, it it's a messy situation probably for san francisco right now i i do imagine that the, they'll get that taken care of but you know who knows how long that um that that'll take all right let's do some questions here i think that's it on the contracts right? and i don't think there's any i don't think there's any chris jones news um that was too interesting I don't think at least, you know, I'm I'm still under the impression that he should be asking for, you know, at least $30 million a year. Um, that's one of those that may may work itself out, may not. Um, so let me just look. I don't want to do the emails on here. So let me see if I can just pull up my emails on the phone, then I can just keep the screen open um, and work it that way. This is all stuff I probably should have done before. All right, let's see. David. Um, listening to last week's pod had me wondering about contracts for running backs. Clearly, there's a drop off from their first four years on that second contract. Question is, if you didn't extend the running back, you would likely be drafting a rookie running back to replace him. So the question: Can we take some type of average value for a running back who had over a thousand yards in years one through four, and what they project to have in years five through six? Could be EPA, whatever metric you want to do, uh, compared to what the expected EPA or whatever uh, for a random rookie running back drafted to replace that older running back. Um, basically, can we expect the older running back on the aggregate to outperform the generic running back? Um, yeah, absolutely, you can do that. Um, you know, it, it's that's a very simple one. So, you know, that article that I wrote on the running backs looks at the expected production of those players. I'm not sure if I'm even going to be able to dig it up right now. Uh, let's see. So I'm sure I have it back here. Let me see if I can do a quick search for it. I don't even remember what I called it. Um, this might be the one. Yeah, so, you know, we, we can look here. Um, at our expected production level, um, you know, for our running backs. And it depends, again, on what you want to, you know, look at. So this is um, running and receiving yards. And I did one that was, uh, I didn't put it in the article. I had it last week in a file somewhere. Um, you know, players that were, uh, 
above um, or had two 1,000-yard seasons over the course of their rookie careers. But, you know, let's look at one 1,000-yard season. I mean, basically our expectation year five, year six um, for the players is going to be around 600 yards, give or take a little bit. So that that is our expectation um, for the players. Now, this is obviously only looking at a subset of very good players. So these numbers are going to be inflated over this. So you, you would have to look and, you know, go to something like Pro Football Focus, go to something like Pro Football Reference, um, look up the numbers for players that were drafted. I would do them by, um, uh, you know, whether they were undrafted, first round, second round, third round, that kind of stuff, and just put together a population. I'd look from 2011 through you know, 2020 or something like that, 21, 22, um, look at all the players and uh, just determine... Um, you know, what those numbers uh, work out to be. And, you know, here is the uh, rushing and receiving yards. You can see that drops down to, uh, you know, also pretty similar, um, you know, where that is. It's a it's a different group of players um, that we're looking at there. But, um, you know, that that's basically where those, those numbers uh, trend. So you can look that up. My assumption is going to be that if you you look at a player who gets playing time meaning they're they're drafted highly where they, they have to get playing time i can't imagine that they would have a problem putting up these numbers now you can argue about whether you should draft a player that high but um i, I think what you'll find is that'll be the case but the average population is probably going to be below this if you just take a, a look and you, you lump in like seventh round runners with second round runners and everything else i think you would just want to break it break it down by round just so you, you kind of have an idea as to, okay, where should you draft a player to overtake that veteran running back, and what would the difference in salary be? You know, if we come if we come out with saying, okay, the average expectation for a second round runner is this. Well, what's the gap between the two salaries? Um, you know, and figure out if that's worthwhile to do. So you can definitely do it. Um, I'm not, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. But you could definitely, um, you know, do something like that. This is from Max. Uh, wondering how much you believe Patrick Mahomes would have made against the cap for him to be overpaid, not worth having it on a team's roster. Seems like his cap hit could double and he'd still have surplus value. What do you think? Um, that's a good question. You know, he's so much better than everybody else, realistically. Um, you know, in my mind, there's only two players. It's a two-player position uh, with him and Allen, and Mahomes is more consistent than Allen. Allen probably does give you that ability for just, uh, <clears throat> you know, some ridiculous um, kind of, you know, super hot, you know, downfield throws kind of stuff. Um, you know, I've always said that, that I, I think, and obviously this isn't how it happened in that one game between the two of them, where they, they just kind of went shot for shot for shot. I, I kind of feel like if you needed a player to play for 60 minutes, Patrick Mahomes is your clear number one quarterback you're taking. If you were taking a game situation where you needed to come from behind with like four minutes left, um, three minutes left, I'd probably throw Allen out there and say that, you know, he probably has the higher potential to, you know, just manufacture these ridiculous, gigantic plays, um, you know, that, that give you the, the opportunity to, to pull out a game um, that you have no business winning. Um, you know, relative to market right now, you know, there's two issues that impact, I think, the worth of the quarterback relative to the market. One is just how much better 
can teams get by having a lower cost quarterback? You know, when we're talking about a rookie, um, you know, that's a lot of money that you can spend. When we're talking about a veteran, um, you know, it might become a little bit less, um, you know, as to what that gap is. Um, you know, because even even if you took Mahomes and let, let's say Mahomes was $90 million a year, um, you know, just, just, just to say something like that, you know, $40 million over Justin Herbert, essentially making Herbert um, effectively a rookie to Patrick Mahomes, he still wouldn't be a rookie to Mahomes because there's a difference, even though the gap is the same, there's, there's a difference in having a $52 million quarterback um, and being able to go and sign free agents uh, versus having like a $7 million quarterback and going in to sign free agents. So it's like the Chargers wouldn't be able to compete with um, a team like the Jaguars right now who have that rookie quarterback under contract. Um, you wouldn't be able to compete for the same pool of players. And the Chiefs, well, they wouldn't really need to because they have Patrick Mahomes. So, you know, my guess is you could actually make a case that, you know, you, you could outdistance everybody by 30 million, 40 million, and you would still maintain a competitive advantage on these teams that have a, um, a veteran qu- uh, quarterback. Um, be, just because of that inefficiency um, that exists with the rookies that come in that play pretty well. Um, so I, I think you might be able to do that. I don't know if it's sustainable over the long term. Um, you know, but there, there, there is certainly a number where the, the gap does probably become too big. But I guess you'd have to look at, you know, how much more would that number have to be for the Chiefs to have to gut players that are completely irreplaceable. And I think it would have to be pretty big, um, you know, for that to be the case. Would it make the Chiefs' job harder against a rookie? Yeah. Um, because the Chiefs would have access to less talent, and I think the, you know, the, the teams with the rookies would still have access to the same level of talent. Um Really, until the NFL got to a completely fair free agency system, meaning everybody goes into free agency if you want, everybody gets into free agency in like year four, um, you could you could still have a quarterback that's probably significantly higher um, than everybody else uh, just because of the way the market bears out. Now, maybe if the market ever took shape to where, you know, let's say Mahomes cost 90, Josh Allen cost 80, um, Herbert was at 70, you know, that you just had this very, very realistic gaps that started to to really account for different kinds of production levels. There are ways that you might be able to build teams around that for short term um, that I think might work out. But under the current system, I think Mahomes could be a lot higher than these other guys, and it wouldn't change the Chiefs' advantage against all these other teams that have a veteran quarterback. I just think it would make it harder for them against the teams that had a rookie quarterback. Um, let's see. Uh, with discussion about Aaron Rodgers requesting equity, I was wondering how non-cash payments in an NFL contract factor into the cap. For example, I thought a former NFL had uh, quarterback um, had access to a private jet. I'm not sure on the private jet front how that stuff works. Um, 
you know, if it's a team chartered thing, if there's other players that go on it. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, I think basically with anything that a player is given above and beyond just normal consideration for playing football, uh, you're supposed to do a fair market valuation on it. And if you had a valuation on, say, an equity stake in a team and that was worth $20 million, his cap number should increase by $20 million. So um, that's how you would go about doing that. Obviously, the equity thing, I think, was done to to block the potential of um, Tom Brady uh, probably this year doing anything with the Raiders. Um, I think the other thing is that they just want to make sure that they don't get into a situation with um, with any of the, the guys who do have a, a big amount of leverage to maybe go in there and, you know, work out something to where they can get a, a very small percentage of, like, the team as part of a contract. But... In theory, everything would be valued at a fair market value. Um, you know, if you were talking about equity in a team, I, I would assume that um, they would use whatever the valuation was of the most recent team that was sold and what that would be. And, you know, that that's how you might come up with something like that. Um, you know, so I, I think that's, uh, that's kind of what they would do. Um, I think that's it for... Let me just do one check. Th- those all came in in the last day or two, I think. Um, let me see if I had anything that was a little bit older in here. Oh, I did from Bo. Uh, is it correct that the Bears still are about $50 million below the cash spending threshold? What happens if a team doesn't spend enough? Um, so if they don't spend enough, they, they're forced to, unless something changed in the CBA, they're supposed to divide that money back up among all the players who are on the team in those years. So let's say you had a shortage of $20 million, You would give $20 million basically to the union. I guess is how it would work, and then they would they would divide that up um, among the players who were on the team. I'm not sure what equation they use to do that. I don't know if it's based on what they earn. I don't know if it's based on playing time. Um, I don't know what that would be. As to where the Bears are, I, I don't think they'll have a problem, but I don't know where they are. Um, I don't have that one in front of me. That calculation's a little different um, because of the way that they, they value signing bonuses. And the Bears have all the way until... Um, early March to convert money to bonus money to, to um, you know, to, to hit that that number. Um, let's see. I think I did that one last week. Um, I think I did those last week. Um, let me see. Sorry if I missed anything here. Just running through these. Oh, and somebody did ask about um, uh, some of these, um, you know, live streaming or something like that. I guess I could try to do some Twitter Q&As that way as just a separate thing versus doing it like this. Um, but I'm not sure. So, all right, let's go over to Twitter and... Let's see, profile. There's my lovely face. Um, this is from yesterday. Uh, th- this was funny. I got carded yesterday. I'm old. I don't know what I'm doing getting carded. They must have a policy of just carding everybody. I laughed about it. I thought it was hilarious. She's like, I got to see ID for ID. I have my kids with me. <laughs> I thought it was 14. She's going to be 14. Um, so anyway, I thought that was funny. Uh, let's see. All right, so we got some questions here. All right, so I'll pull these up. I, I think most people are okay with um, having their Twitter stuff up. 
So I think this should be all right. All right. Curtis. I'm not going to pull up the whole tweets. So I'll just go through them in the thread format. Uh, why do you think the Seahawks restructured Quandre Diggs' contract for cap room instead of asking Jamal Adams to take a pay cut? Coming off a serious injury and 18 million cap number, assume an obvious move. I don't think there's any traction that they would get with Jamal Adams. And, you know, the, the Jamal Adams situation, um, you know, would just be bad. It, it was a bad trade. It, it was a bad trade when they made it. It only really had a one-year window of return that they could have expected on it. And then everything really went downhill for them with the Russell Wilson stuff. Um, obviously, they had a better ex- than expected year last season. Nothing to do with Jamal Adams. Um, but I, I just think that, that that's like a lost cause is probably going down that route. So I, I think that rather than going down that route, um, I think they just probably assume that this was the easier thing to do. Um, let me see what his contract even looks like at this point. You know, eleven million. Um, you know, on the year, and you know, here's the other thing: even if you did a pay cut, um, you know, even even if he agreed to something, you know, I don't know how much he would take off. You'd, you'd probably have playing time thresholds that he could earn it back on, which means he might earn it back anyway. But you know, if he was looking for anything in a in a restructure where you might have to do a bonus, you know, he's already at fourteen two dead next year. Um, I think you just look at this as a total sunk cost at this point. And, you know, I, I don't think that there's any reason to add that on because they, they were using it. They were using that money to, to work on their player extension. Um, that was one I didn't talk about. But, yeah, that, that was really what they were using that for. Lord Rustin, how do you think Becton takes it if he gets cut on hard knocks? He might do something crazy. I have no idea how he would take it. He's not getting cut. Um you know, the, the Jets don't really do that. The, the Jets will try to get some kind of value for him. Um, you know, I, I think at this point you just chalk it up that, you know, he's his body is not going to hold up at the NFL level. It was a concern when he came in the league. No one expected it to be this quick. Um, you know, he's just a very raw player. Um, you know, it's still some time. But you never know. Thoughts, uh, you know, guys can, um, you know, guys that you could do. Uh, all right, Fizzle. Let's see. Thoughts on J.C. Treader. Uh, what should he do versus what will he do? What would you do if you were him? Uh, why has each and every one of his predecessors failed miserably? Um, I don't know. You know, it's a uh, it's a tough job. Um, I think that currently, and this this could be off on this. I, the the current executive committee that they have has the feeling of like. They've done some things to try to bypass the body as a whole. And I, I can understand why you do that, right? Like, I, I can understand reasons why you might do something like that. You feel like you've put in a lot of this time and you don't want something to get completely derailed by, um, you know, online opinions and posturing and stuff like that. So I kind of get that. Uh, I think from a communication standpoint, I think he does very good. You know, he posts stuff on Twitter. He posts things... Um, on the player's website. So I think he does that. I, I just think that, um, I don't know, I, I, I just feel like it's, they miss out, it's like they look at little battles instead of trying to look at the big picture, um, you know, when it comes to it. And, you know, the the, the NFL stuff, it, to be honest, none of it changes until you, you shorten the length of those rookie deals. And um, 
that's just not something that seems to be on the mind of any of them. It doesn't seem to be anything that is a uh, that's a thought for them to do. It doesn't seem to be anything that they they really want to tackle um, when they've gotten into setting um, you know setting up negotiations and. You know, I, I just think that, that that's kind of been where they've missed out. Now, you know, you're going to have a new union head that comes in, so you're going to have to see, um, you know, where that leads. But I, I think that's that's just kind of the, um, in my opinion at least, that that's kind of the issue, I, I think, at hand. Hypothetical. If the Rams are sellers at the trade deadline and trade Aaron Donald, what would that do from the cap standpoint? That's Old King 40. Um so let's take a look at Aaron Donald's deal. So to make it easy, let's just say they trade him now. You know, 2023. So you'd have 12-5 dead plus... Oh, he already earned this uh, roster bonus, right? Or was that roster bonus prorated? Jeez, I gotta go back and look at that. That roster bonus was prorated. 13.5, 12.5. I probably should have pulled that out from there. Um, that certainly looks like it was prorated. So you'd have 12.5 dead this year. Um, next year, you'd have 28.5 million dead um, on your salary cap if you did that. So, you know, you, you, you'd have some some wiggle room here. I, I think that this is a, a possibility. Um, that he could be traded if he was open to it. I think if he said, no, I don't want to be traded, I, I don't think they would trade him. But I, I do think that this is something that they they could consider doing, um, you know, a, as the, the season wears on. JRB, Daryl Taylor was a second-round pick for the Seahawks. He missed his entire rookie year due to injury, which will make him a restricted free agent when his rookie contract is up. Can you talk specifics on his contract and your thoughts on this rule? Um, was he on IR or was he on NFI? Uh, I'm probably not going to have this listed here. Um, so if he was on, if he was just on injured reserve, um, you know, for the year, then, you know, he's fine. Okay, so no, he was NFI, so I have him down as restricted. Okay. Um, you know, for when he hits. So he, he must have been on NFI, I guess, that first year. Um so, you know, it, he would fall under the same same concept as a restricted free agent. So you, you could tender him at, um, you know, whatever level. And, um, you know, that's how it works. I, I, I think the rule is okay um, simply because, uh, you know, it, it's like if you're injured in the course of playing football, um, obviously you should keep your status as a free agent. If you are injured because of some other reason, um, you know, I, I can understand why you, you should lose kind of a year in there, um, you know, towards free agency because you were hurt by something that you did um, versus the, you know, the team um, causing it. So I, I think it's a it's a fair rule because of that. Uh, how should the team handle the Zach Martin situation? I don't know. That, that's a that's a that's another tough one. I think for uh, for Dallas here, he's got two years, I believe, remaining on his contract. Um, it was a very good deal for Dallas. You know, they I, I think Martin's side of this. I think they just kind of misread some of the tea leaves that could happen 
Um, it's a position that is usually wide open in free agency. So any position which is wide open in free agency, even if you're a great player, it's hard to block the market for that long because eventually there, there will be a free agent who gets over. And once that free agent gets over, in this case, it was probably Tooney who was maybe the guy. Um, once that gets over, that opens up the market for all the other guys on extensions who are the quote unquote current Zach Martins you know, to get up to $20 million a year and you're kind of left holding the bag on the outside looking in at your your deal, which is like $14 million a year. Uh, I'm sure Dallas looks at this as that they gave him a very good contract at the time. It was a very high guarantee level at the time and that he agreed to take that longer deal and that he should probably honor at least this year of it. Um, my guess is that maybe they move some money up this year, from next year into this year to just try to, to get him into camp and... Um, you know, get the get the deal taken care of. I don't I don't think that they'll they'll do a new deal, um, just because he has the two years left. But I, I guess we'll wait and see um, if that happens. Daniel, what would you do with Chris Jones? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, really good player. I, I think. I you know I I think probably the Chiefs' best thing to do here. I think would be to extend him, but to try to do it in a way to where you're not really paying that much extra this year for him and make sure there's not a no trade or something like that. And, you know, keep keep that possibility open of trading him to where you only prepaid a little portion of that contract. And, um, you know, then look to, you know, maybe you look to trade him next year. I wouldn't look to trade him now. You know, I, I think you go into this season and you... you you know, you, you try to put your best foot forward with um, with your team and, uh, you know, do what you can. But I think you want to leave that possibility open of trading him after the season. And, you know, if something really went wrong this year and uh, Mahomes got hurt or something like that, that would give you the option to trade him in season. Um, but I, I would just, I'd, I'd look, I think, to, to kind of pacify the situation and do something there. Um, just as long as it doesn't impact me so much in the future, I just want to still have that ability um, you know, to move out and maybe get something in a trade. Nick, how's the Raiders cap situation looking now, uh, looking like now that they restructured two of the contracts of Jones and Myers? Um, do I have all those? Do I have Chandler Jones's in there? I probably should look. That was a while ago they did Chandler Jones, right? I, I have, they only have like five million in cap room. Let me see. Maybe, maybe they did something with Jones and I dismissed it. No, yep, I have it there. Um, yeah, no, they, they, their cap situation is not good. Um, you know, they have about $5 million. You know, they're, they're probably going to have to go in there at some point and change Garoppolo's number, um, you know, down and throw a signing bonus in there again. Um, you know, talk about much ado about nothing, right? He passed his physical. Woohoo. You know, the all, all the conspiracy theories, you know, they, were, they signed him to sell jerseys and then turned to Tom Brady. Like, I guess there was there was no uh, there was no oh I, I guess maybe we were a little wrong there kind of thing um, you know they came out and just just so you know um, he can still lose those guarantees if he re-injures that foot you know people were saying okay he's locked in his salary is still not locked in next year uh, it's not locked in until after the season um, but his salary for this year is basically locked in unless he hurts his foot in preseason. Um, you know, because once regular season starts, even though an injury waiver can apply, 
Uh, it wouldn't supersede the termination pay, which kicks in if you're on the roster week one. So I would imagine the Raiders are probably going to look to restructure the deal um, to create cap room to function, but I don't think they'll do it until training camp breaks um, because you at least know he's healthy going into the season. Because once he's in the season, it's basically a sunk cost for this year. Um, so I, I think that'll be the timing for them. But right now, they, they don't have much in the way of cap room. Uh, Huddy, Hunter's situation, how the Vikings would go about an extension for someone of his caliber. Well, obviously that worked itself out. They did the 117. Um, you know, I think that's the right call for them. You know, they, it's, it's a deal that the minute it was signed was always going to be a problem if he continued to play well. And it's been a problem for them. Um, you know, but this gives them the most potential to actually go out and, um, you know, trade him this year, which is really, unless the Vikings are having a great season, I mean, that's what the Vikings should be doing. Davey, can I have some money? Not from me, but you can uh, you can get some money. Uh, high Times Vikes, what type of compensation could the Vikings reasonably expect in a Hunter trade? What type of contract can Hunter expect to receive from any team at this point? So obviously nothing is going to happen now. So, you know, Von Miller, um, that was picking up almost his entire contract they got, I think, a two and three. Um, you know, if you don't pick up the whole contract, maybe a three. Um, you know, Hunter's not considered that type of player, uh, not to that level, but he's pretty he's pretty effective. Um, so I, I think you'd be looking at probably a third round pick is what you could get. Dreadful. What does a potential Jared Goff extension look like after this year, assuming he plays to his normal baseline? Seems like the Lions have kind of locked themselves into him. They don't have alternatives. Yeah, it, it's almost like they they. They're going to be in a situation where, unless the bottom falls out, um, you know they're not going to have that ability to go in there and draft a quarterback. So I, I think, you know, it's tough because you do see changes in the market, right? You got Daniel Jones at forty, which is very different than you know players who signed at forty before. Um, I, I think in Goff's case, even though you're talking about a player who has not been released. I, I would say your upside that you're looking at here if for him would be 37.5. Let's call it 38, you know, just to jump above Derek Carr. Um, maybe a similar deal in structure, you know, 60 guaranteed, something like that um, might be the thing. On the low end, um, it's not going to be Geno Smith, you know, on the low end because he's already earning more with the Lions, right, right now. Let me see what his numbers are with the Lions. Um, let me see his cash. Uh, you know, they, they could go there. He's playing every year for like $26 million. Um, You know, they could offer him a deal similar to Geno Smith as well. So I, I guess your floor number would be something like $30 million, 32, 33. You know, 33 is what he was at on his last one. But with a lot of upside based on performance, probably matching performance. The only difference is if Jared Goff does it two years in a row... Um, that's a little harder than Geno Smith. And Geno Smith's a situation where Geno Smith was a career like $1 million backup. And, you know, he has the one big year and you're bumping his salary to 25. And you're saying, okay, if you go out and you do it for another year, we'll, we'll pay you 40. You know, we'll, we'll pay you like a high-end quarterback. Um, you know, so Goff kind of falls somewhere in between those two extremes. Uh, but I, I would say somewhere in that range of 30 to 38, um would be what you'd be looking at. The 30 would probably be with a lot of upside based on performance. 
the 38 would probably just be a ceiling like that. That would probably be, you know, it would be a floor and a ceiling number at the same time. Um, you know, I think you, you want to be careful with what you guarantee him. I think you just want to have some flexibility within that deal, um, you know, to be able to move on at some point. Uh, but I, I would think that's probably what they're looking at. Uh, I've always wondered how the league regulates non-footballing agreements with players. Back when Brady was a patty, often took below market deals, but the team also paid for players to train at the TB12. Uh, what stops him from making up the rest of his deal and outside payments? So I, I'm not exactly sure how some of that works, but I think as long as it's a um, an organization, so the first thing is you're not paying Tom Brady direct, right? It's a company. So I, I think as long as it, it kind of falls into that realm, and the price that you're paying is in line with um, what you would be paying any place, you know, to go train at or whatever. I don't think the NFL flags that as anything outside of the norm of doing business. Um, yeah, I could be wrong, uh, but I think that's how they do that. Jacob, are there more people signing deals during this year's training camp period than usual? It feels like a lot of big name extensions. So it has been a lot of big names. It is not the most. Um, it's close to the most in July, and it's still got a ways to go. We might get there by by August to be the most um, ever, but I do think there's something to the fact that it's the most big ones. Um, you know, it, it's not like we're getting in these deals that are, you know, the $12 million player, the $10 million player, you know, signs this extension. It's a lot of guys at 20 plus, um, you know, that are, that are big name guys, you know, kind of resetting the market at the different positions. So I, I think that uh, in that respect, yeah, th this has been a, um, I think, a big, big year for that. Uh, Schmitty Sports Takes. I feel like the most understood uh, contributor to current market conditions for running backs and minimal drop-off or substitutes or replacement value. Um, is there any data that backs this up? Yeah. I mean, you, you, can, you can look at the numbers. And, you know, it, it's that where do a lot of these running backs come from? They're not necessarily coming from the top of the draft when you're looking at productive 1,000-yard runners. It's always been that way, right? We always look and it's like, oh, this is such a great player, even though he was drafted in the fourth round or the fifth round. It's much more prevalent at a position like that than it is at some of the other positions. Um, you know, and you, you can also look at, you know, what the data tells you for those veteran running backs who are missing time, less effective, um, less efficient, and their numbers drive down and you replace them with these younger guys where, yeah, maybe you're going to need three runners, you know, maybe two, you know, maybe a guy drafted in the seventh round, a guy drafted in the fourth and undrafted and find the right guy from that group. But odds are one of those guys is going to give you at a very cheap cost um, the production level. So if you're talking about a running back that's going to make $13 million a year and the expectation is probably going to be that he only rushes for like 600, 700 yards a year, um, you know, because of injury and everything else. And your alternative to that, and it might be that it's three three picks, um, but your alternative to that is an investment of, um, you know, two point one million dollars among three players. And then once you find one guy, you know you're set for you know the next three years. Um, you know you, you can find one out of that group that'll give you that production plus more. So it's like two point one million, and okay, maybe an extra two spots or an extra draft picks that you had to waste. Um, you know, but you're talking about an eleven million, twelve million dollar savings per year at least. Um, you know, on that position. Navi, how much? Uh, who and how much dead cap is plaguing the Raiders? Uh, did I close the Raiders? So the Raiders have about thirty million dollars in dead money. Um, you know that that's 
you know, top third elite, mid, middle middle portion of the league. Um, eh, maybe top third. They're right at that, those couple of teams. One, two, three, four. Yeah, tenth. They're tenth. And there there is a big drop-off till you get to the Colts. You know, that's almost a $5 million drop. Uh, the big players there, Corey Littleton, 9-9. Nine, nine, Derek Carr, 5-6. Carl Nassib, 4-9. Kenyon Drake, that was a bad contract, 4-4. Four, four. Leatherwood, 3-9. Uh, Waller's only at 540, and, you know, so on and so forth. So it's just those couple of players. <coughs> you know, it's just two, uh, enough guys with, you know, not huge numbers, um, but just enough guys with uh, mid-tier dead money numbers that drives that total up. Justin, thoughts on the overall state of the Giants after the extension they gave out and Saquon Tag still have good cap health in the future years. So I my concern with the Giants is just Daniel Jones. Like I, I think that's a lot to give for for him. Um, I don't think he's a good quarterback. Um, I, I think even though you know forty million now is not the same as forty million um, you know two years ago, three years ago. Like it's it's very his forty million is very different than Dak Prescott's forty million. Um, you know I'm I'm. I think that contract is very questionable. Uh, the Andrew Thomas one, you know, like I mentioned before, I thought that that contract is pretty much great. So, you know, you, you can you can look at them, um, you know, in that way. But it's all going to be dependent on Daniel Jones. If Daniel Jones is not the player that they thought, um, they're they're going to be in big trouble. Brian, this isn't to sound too negative of your previous opinion, but I know you were feeling the Jets trade for Rodgers was an overpay at the time. This couldn't have been seen as a possibility, but does your opinion change? Sure. Um, absolutely changes. I think I mentioned that in that podcast. Now, I'd, I'd have to pull out my trade calculator on that, um, you know, and rerun those numbers. So, you know, when, when we looked at the the surplus value that the Jets gave up by giving up all those picks, off the top of my head, I, I don't remember what the, that number was. But part of that was the fact that, you know, the negative on it was you were paying $55 million a year for a player that was going to give you, you know, $50 million in value. Now, in theory, you're getting $50 million in value or $52 million in value, whatever you want to call the high end of the market, um, you know, at $37.5. So you've, you've offset a lot of that surplus value that you're losing in the draft picks because now you can go out and you can use that money that you saved to help sign free agents. Now, we're still not at the point yet where we know Aaron Rodgers is going to play in 2024 or that he's going to play at a high level. That obviously has to factor into it. The biggest negative on the Jets is it was big money, and it was big money that could just be for a year. The year part still stands in. No matter how many good feelings there are right now and Aaron Rodgers you know, doing this deal, there's nothing that says Aaron Rodgers is going to play in 2024. If he's only playing for one year, it's, you know, it's not a great situation <clears throat> for the Jets unless you win the Super Bowl. Um, you know, along with that. But, yeah, absolutely. You, you would run those numbers again and you would change that because, you know, one of the examples that I was using was Russell Wilson in there because Russell Wilson you knew was going to play for X amount of years and you had his effective value at whatever. Now, obviously, he played terrible, but you didn't know that going into it. Going into it, you thought he was one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And the effective value on his contract was, you know, in the low 40s, probably high 30s. So, again, you're offsetting some of that value that you lose out of that draft pick, um, you know, by the salary cap savings that you're now getting at the quarterback position. So, will that balance out where you're looking at the four years that you lose on the draft, the draft picks versus the two years of what you gain here? I don't know that yet. 
Um, you know, I, I'd have to, to work those numbers out. But this would put it much more in line, I think, with being a fair trade versus what it was before. It probably still skews in the favor of the Packers, um, but I don't think it would be so egregious um, as where it was before. But I, I'd have to actually rerun the numbers to see how much that came off. But I, I feel like the numbers that I put in there at the time was Rodgers, if he was $35 million a year, like that might work out. And so he's pretty close to that. So I, I would guess that probably works there. But um, he's got to play two years. I, I think that's the thing is you need two years at a high level. And, um, you know, that, that that's what you need. Uh, Richard, I saw a comment in relation to the Colcometa extension that it helped Bears towards the floor they need after extending him. How much further do they have to go? I, you know, I, I'll do a, um, I'll do an article on that at the maybe the end of training camp because it, it's a little harder to do right now because the rosters are so big. Um, so it's like, yeah, I can drop down to the top sixty players, but you know, numbers might change. Um, so, excuse me, I, I can look that up and see where they might be. Um, in regards to it, but I think they should be all right, um, you know, with what they're doing. Rico, what are your thoughts on Rodgers' restructuring the Jets' overall cap situation going in uh, going into the season? So, you know, I talked about that before. Um, you know, terrific contract for the Jets, whether that was because of him, whether that was because of the Jets, whether it was collaboration, who knows, who cares. Uh, works out very well for them. Uh, overall cap situation is... You know, it's okay, but, you know, I, I would do that kind of stuff that I mentioned. Just blow it out for the next two years and if you have to be Tampa Bay two three years from now so be it you know that's the position you went in so you may as well go for it all you know you, you don't want to go you know half you know you, you don't want to be like okay well we got the quarterback and we've got these two great young rookies and you know we'll see where things go next year and we'll make it work just go for it you know just do your planning now the thing that sets a team like the Eagles apart is they plan for these things they do some stuff that's wacky, but they plan for it. Don't be in a situation where next March you're like, oh, well, I wish we could have had more cap room. you got the ability to create it now. Do it. Zach, do you think the league will ever get rid of the escrow rule for guaranteed money? And if they do, will the Packers and Bengals drop the rule? Um, no, they, they won't get rid of that. Um, and I don't think those teams would drop that rule either. Uh, Jason... Uh, can a player with a signed, filed contract that is guaranteed money be altered to give less guaranteed money? Um, sure. I, I can't see why not. Obviously, it did here. Um, you know, now we, we get into that technical aspect where maybe we want to look at this and say that they gave him more guarantees so there was no way the union could step in because there was a fully guaranteed salary. I don't know if the union has any right to do that. Um, you know, the guarantees are basically left open to pretty much anything and everyone. Um you know, so I, I don't know if it, that this could be a situation like the union in baseball that stepped in years and years and years ago when Alex Rodriguez wanted to go to, I think it was Boston, and nobody would touch that contract that he had with Texas, and the union jumped in and said, nope, not going to fly. Eventually he ends up on the Yankees, but, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't let him take the, the uh, pay decrease. So, um, you know, that might be one, you know, like... Years ago, this is an old Jet player, but Lavernius Coles gave up a guaranteed salary to become a free agent. Um, but the Jets made him void his contract. So I don't know if that was... At least I think they did. I think they made him uh, void out his own deal. So that might have been something that they were doing just from a technical standpoint to make sure that there was no issue. Um, but I, I don't think there's any issues with uh, with doing that. 
Uh, David, emailed you over one. Thoughts about the running back second contract versus the average performance of the random drafted one? So, yep, I think we talked about that. Uh, Derek, how often do players hit their escalators in their contract? Seems incentive-laden deals are becoming more often, but I'm curious if it's kind of a bait-and-switch. Uh, most players don't get it. Uh, yeah, usually it's a bait-and-switch. Um, the amount of players, if you run through the site where you, you look in that other bonus column and you look at um, you know incentives that get paid out, it's, it's a pretty low percentage um, of the incentives. Most are pretty high-end kind of stuff, hard to reach. Um, so not a lot of guys necessarily uh, get them and pick them up. Ziggy, if the Cardinals get an early pick next year and decide to move on from Murray, what kind of interest do you think uh, there'd be in his contract, assuming they try to get it under uh, before March 22nd? Is it a net negative? Would anybody be interested? There's always teams interested in a quarterback. The only thing that would worry me um, with him is I think there's a lot of negatives. And the negatives, some of them were the, the Cardinals' own doing by that contract that they, they wrote. When you do a contract like that that basically says we have no faith in the player um, to take the time to study the playbook, to study the opponents, to study the game plan, um, and we need to actually put it in his contract. Like that is that's a that's a epic 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 failure when you're trying to sell him as an option for um, other teams around the league. So, you know, even though he was a number one overall pick, you know, do do you have that question? You know. Did you have that question when he was coming into the league? Does this just reinforce it, or do you look past that because of the talent and the player? Um, you know, you look at someone like a Baker Mayfield. Now, Mayfield is not did not have anywhere near as successful of a run as Kyler Murray did um, in the league. But you know, Baker Mayfield basically just blew up out of nowhere and became almost worthless. Um, that was a player that gave up some guaranteed money, I believe. So that, that would be an example of a player that also did that. Um, you know, I'm just looking at his deal here. You know, if you traded him next year, I mean, it's 46-2 dead. I mean, it's a it's a big number. Um, obviously, they would do it. Uh, I, I don't think that's, that's an issue. His numbers for a team acquiring him... Um, they'd be the cash numbers we see here. So the numbers for a team acquiring would be about 39, 32, 42, 36, 46. Um, you know, th this is the only guaranteed, guaranteed year. The others, there's some stuff that kicks in. Um, I think given these numbers here, you could justify it. You know, 38, 32, 42, 36, that's going to be relatively cheap to market. So I, I think there'd be value there. I don't think you're getting multiple first-round picks for him or anything like that. Um, you know, but you, you would get something decent, um, probably a first-round pick, or at the very least, you're going to get a second that can escalate to a one. Um, but he's got to be somewhat effective. You, it just has to be a situation where the team isn't effective. Um, but, you know, he's able to move the ball. They're able to score some points. He gives you some hope. It's just that the team itself isn't any good. And, you know, you've just decided it's better to just start over and move on, give everybody a new start. And that's the way you can maybe maximize what you get back for him. Uh, shoes. If Mahomes was a free agent without a tag, what would he get in free agency? Also, what would a new contract for Buckner look like? Um, he's getting older, but DTs have been aging better. Um, I don't know about Buckner. Um, I thought that he was outside potential of someone that could get traded or possibly cut. Like, I, I didn't think that um, he really fit in with where the Colts are right now. But, 
you know, the Colts are kind of in this weird position, I think, where they think they're going to compete and they're not sure. Very similar to Leonard Williams. Like, Leonard Williams shouldn't be on this contract right now. Um, you know, but there he is. So, um, you know, that that's kind of where that is right now. I, I don't think that he kind of fills out that range to where he's going to be getting that salary increase that these younger guys did. Um, I don't think he'd be looking at the bump that Hargrave got. I think if he goes out there and he has a really good season, I think he'd probably look at it and say, look, Hargrave's at 21. We'll extend you at the same 21 that you're at right now. You know, steady pay over three years. I kind of think that's more the kind of player that would be um, if they were to extend him out. Uh, Other part of the question, Mahomes was a free agent. So if Mahomes was a pure free agent... um, how much could he get? Gosh, that's a really good question. Uh, if the market was at 50, you know, I guess it would be something like 75. You know, if you looked at, um, you know, cap room, you know, and obviously cap room is not the, the greatest of indicators here. But, um, you know, you'd have these couple of teams that have a lot of cap space. And there's probably a couple of teams that have very low cash budgets. Um you know, you'd probably be looking at trying to find a team that has a lot of cap room and has a low cash budget. Sometimes those two things don't actually go hand in hand, even though it would seem like that should. Um, you know, if you get to 2024 and, you know, you look at cash spending, you know, teams like the Patriots, for example, you know, they only have $116 million committed to their roster and, you know, they, they had a ton of cap room. You know, that that's the kind of team that would just blow the market away. Um, you know, to, to bring in a player like that. You know, the Bears might be a, a team in that same kind of situation. So, um, you know, you never want to say, well, they're just going to get, you know, a bazillion dollars. Um, you know, I, I think you come up with with numbers that are way over market, but they, they make some sense probably within um, within a market for a position. Um, you know, 70 you know, something something like that. You know, it would be a very big increase, but I, I don't think it would be something that doubles, um, you know, the next closest player. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's what would happen. And But we've never seen it. You know, the closest you got was Peyton Manning, and Manning basically went into free agency and said, I just want to make what, what Brady makes. And I think they were like, but you could get more because, you know, even with your injury, like, teams are going to be after you. They've never had this opportunity. It's like, I just want what Brady makes. And I think the story was when he found out he was making a little bit more than Brady, he was like, why am I making more than Brady? And they were like, well, that's what they offered. Like, we we couldn't go into a negotiation with them offering you 20 and say, well, no, he only wants 17 or 18. So, you know, I, I think um, we just really haven't seen it. You know, Kirk Cousins, you know, is nowhere near that quality of player. Um, did become the highest paid, but not by too much, um, you know, at the time. But, uh yeah, you know, it, it would really be interesting. Uh, I would love if that's uh, how the league turned out. All right, so I think that does it for me. So uh, I think that covers it for this week. Um, hopefully I'll be back next week. I think we're going to uh, we're gonna be out, I think, on Saturday. So hopefully I'll, I'll try to sneak a podcast in, um, you know, at some point next week. And it might be a Sunday night again. Um, it, it, it'll either be Friday night or Sunday night. I think Jacob starts football practice after that, so I don't think I'm going to have a chance during the week. Um, to be able to jump in on that because I, I think he'll have practices. He's already started some practices already um, and he had some other activities going on. So 
Um, I think that'll probably make it a little hard to do during the um, during that time. But uh, we'll see. Hopefully, uh, I'll be able to come up with something, though. I can't imagine there's going to be another flurry of, uh, of deals like this. I would think that uh, it'll be a little bit calmer this week and uh, all the rest of the weeks moving forward. So everybody have a great week, and I will talk to you all again soon.